0: Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor O'Keefe. Marler, we've we've got some stuff to to discuss today. I, I think that's fair yeah, to say. There's a
1: lot going on. There is there I'm, is I'm so planning much a wedding. Yes,
0: yes, you are. We're, we're going to talk about wedding stuff. We're going to talk about how our New Year's Day. What? No, the we're not. Bachelor starts today. Stuff. The Bachelor starts. What a what a big day it is. Three hours. Yeah, they kind of do that with the first episode. That's just that's that's pretty standard these days because they got to meet all the women, and that's just the way it works. Yeah, a couple of things happened in the SEC that uh, <laughs> hit a little close to home for us. I think we can yeah. see that. The we are recording this at one forty-five on Monday afternoon, freshly removed from the Tua announcement that he is going to the NFL. We have so much that we're going to hit on with that talking about the decision talking about what it means for alabama what it means for the sec college football as a whole all those different things my guy joe moorhead was fired in mississippi state on friday i have a lot of thoughts on that a lot of thoughts on we're that. we're going to not agree on a lot of those we're going to not agree on some we're going to agree on on some others i, I okay. promise you that and i promise i will try and look at this in the most logical way possible and i Done the best I can to listen Dude, to Mississippi State fans. I really you, have.
1: You get you get such a golden parachute of forgiveness from all of our audience, though, because the giant shield of protection that is Tua also going pro, and then no matter what I say it being, like, well, it,
0: well you're fine. You're fine. No one's even going to notice, Connor. <laughs> Bury the lead. Um, and then we're going to talk some all-decade stuff, because I know this came out a few weeks ago on SDS. We've had just so much all decade content um, to end the year and it's been great and our our team has really really gone to work to be able to put this stuff together and I thought it wouldn't be right of us if we didn't kind of go through some of this all decade team I I came up with the all decade offense and the all decade defense to just kind of go through break down some of the cases have a little bit of fun we're interested to get your feedback on this I know we have we have posted the all decade teams to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group but it's a little bit different and kind of talk about some of these cases and stuff when you can provide a little bit more of an argument, and you know, it's, we can yeah, and, really and flesh
1: this out. I'll just say right off the bat like, I, I immediately was like frustrated with some of the stuff that I saw on the site. And then, like, I will say though, and I still disagree with some of the stuff that, that some of our writers wrote. It'd
0: be weird if you didn't, yeah.
1: So, somebody wrote Traded Priest as a backup linebacker at Bama, and he was it, literally like, Queso is a better linebacker than Traded Priest. Um, that's a stretch, pretty...
0: but Queso's thick. Queso's got the wide God, shoulders they're here. They're built tackle. the same. Um, I, you know what? I saw Queso on that play date, and Queso was putting up some good tackles there. So dude, I... Queso is
1: as soon as as soon as they those they showed up, they're like, God, Queso got thick with two C's. And I was like, Yeah, <laughs> um, no, but anyway. So, but I, but like I, what I will say also is just. This that was not an easy undertaking. That's such a no, difficult. it's not. Just a <laughs> Google not. search alone, trying to find these people was. Ugh. It's it's it was tougher than I thought it was going
0: to be. So hopefully, yeah. Uh, some guys of you these... some good insight
1: too, and you guys probably do have some good insight because I'm sure there's people we overlooked.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I tried to hit on as many as possible with the honorable mention section. And that, even that, I mean, I definitely forgot people. Like, I, I can flat out admit there are there are guys that I just did not get to, and I did the best I could. I mean, I spent all day putting these together. You know, back when we did this a few weeks ago, and it's just not easy. And some of the times you're you find yourself going with one thing over the other of one year of dominance as opposed to an entire year, uh, entire career of success, and it's it's tough to kind of balance all those things. But we'll we'll explain some of the some of the the guys who made it, and maybe even some of the guys who didn't as well. So. That is what we're going to hit on today. Let's start, though, with a thing that is very, very, very raw. I don't want to say raw. That's not the right word. That's not the right word. It is very new. And that is to Otongailoa's announcement that he is declaring for the NFL draft. He is leaving Alabama a year early, and he is going to take his talents to the next level. The crazy thing about this announcement, which just happened on SEC Network, is that I mean, literally up until the announcement, I really wasn't 100% sure either way. And he could come out and kind of say anything, and it really wouldn't have surprised me that much. It, it had suspense, and I credit Tua for that. I Usually this stuff gets leaked much, much earlier.
1: Tua's a different person, man. He's a different breed. He's different. Yep. Uh, this this whole thing, like, I, I've said this before, and this is not like saying he's, like, a different animal to deal with in terms of his physical abilities or anything like that stuff. He's just not built the same way as we are, as most people are. Like, he's he's just... Like he doesn't tick the same way we do i i I don't know how to explain it other than that like the fact that like you know the same mode of things this, all the the stuff that people have thrown out there for their opinions or reasons of why they think he'll go or stay or any of that, I don't know how much of those reasons ever entered his mind like I and mean, he's just a different person like he he just yeah he he had like this was driven I think a lot by faith family like what his like what was gonna be best for him, and I honestly think that this is. This was nothing to do with like, like, like if he would have stayed, and people would be like, "This is the dumbest. It's the only. It's the only thing he can do is go pro. It's obvious he's going pro." We we'd several people say that. I, I don't think that's necessarily true either way. I think I think he he's just made this decision uh, based off you know based like different things
0: than than most of us would. Exactly, and that's the the tough thing to remember with a situation like this is. I don't, I don't think there's a comp for Tua's situation. I, I really don't. And, and part of that is because of this, a big part of that is the injury stuff. Right. I mean, we've we've seen other guys through the course of history, uh, other great SEC quarterbacks who have debated coming back for a senior year and and done so like Tim Tebow, like Peyton Manning. And, and, you know, you could kind of go back through, you know, the course of time and find these situations and and try and figure out, all right, well, what what do they need to show as seniors? Two was in a different situation altogether just because this hip injury is so rare. And I think, two, it's the fact that we're talking about somebody that has essentially had three major surgeries in the last 12 months. I mean, that, that is insane. To his lower body, which I, I think if you take all that into account, it makes sense that he would want to go to the NFL, start that clock now to be able to make sure that, you know, two in my opinion, is going to be a first-round pick. Like, I'd be... Yeah, I'd be surprised if Tua were to fall outside of you know the tw- the top twenty picks or something like that. Just because even if you know he did slip a little bit, and you know if Justin Herbert went ahead of him, I think somebody would even trade up to want to go and get somebody like him. And part of that is dependent on how he's able to perform from a medical standpoint. He said the the doctors that he met with in New York that was getting a lot of conversation over the weekend. That they're really not going to know until month three or four to how he's progressing, and they're going to have to kind of wait and see. But it is worth noting that Ian Rappaport reported that Tua did get positive feedback from those doctors. How much that factored into his decision, I don't know. But ultimately, this was the choice he made, and it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. I think, so <clears throat> I think when we talked about this last week, when when Saban said he got the NFL grades back, and, and this is something people don't understand. Like this is it's like like honestly, I didn't even understand until a while back. Is in the same way that, who's the guy, like, it's, Joe Lenardi does his bracketology thing from, like, day one of basketball. He, he does this. In the same way, there are specific people, Mel Kuyper, uh, Todd McShay, our, our boy Matt Miller, who, uh, their main job is projecting the NFL draft. You tell me how many times you've looked at the NFL draft and I was like, holy crap, he nailed it. Like, right, like, got every single one of them right. Got got 75% of them right. Like, like No. And but it's it's fascinating. We we're consumed by it. It's, it's entertaining. So it's it's still out there. The stuff that the people get their draft grades back. These players get their draft grades back. They're getting them back from the people actually making the draft picks. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the it's not like where these you know analysts and pundits are saying that they're projected to go. So I think that's a positive sign. I think that he wouldn't have. I honestly don't think he wouldn't have gone if he didn't have that draft grade and and didn't get at least a a good reaction or a good good feedback from the medical issue. But worries me about this is. We see it all the time when it comes to being draft day is, I don't want to say the shadiness of, of how the draft takes place, but like the smoke, the smoke, like, you know, people throwing up smoke screens all the time and, and, and doing stuff where they're saying they're going to take one person and letting them drop. And you see this happen a lot. I'm going to be pretty disappointed if this kid goes pro and, and, and thinks it's the, it's the best decision for him. And then somebody up in the NFL, which is a lot more ruthless than the college game, especially from like a, a business standpoint, lied to him.
0: Yeah, and they can't predict the future necessarily. I mean, that's part of the, the thing with the draft grades, and that's you know worth remembering. For what it's worth, Mel Kuyper still has him at number three as his overall prospect on his big board, and Tua did say that he is optimistic that he will play this year. If that becomes more clear as we get closer to the draft, I think the likelihood of some sort of free fall becomes less likely, and I think that there are going to be more teams that are really going to fall in love with him because as we know, and Saban said, look, Tua has probably made more of an impact on Alabama than anybody in the history of this program. And Tua is not going to fail in this pre-draft process. There's just no way that anybody is going to sit down with that kid and say, yeah, you know what? I don't know if I could really see him as the face of our franchise. Like, think about that. Nobody's going to come away with a negative impression of Tua. And to me, that's what's going to help him. If there are those questions, because yes, you're right. There is that, that smoke and mirrors. And if you are going to draft a quarterback in the first round, you've got to be willing to say, this is a guy that we really feel like we can build our organization around. And I think Tua is going to answer all those questions. Now, obviously, things can happen if he has some sort of setback. That changes the equation. But, man, the way that things are trending right now, I'd be surprised if we're looking back at this in the last week of April and we're saying, man, it's kind of tough that he made this decision. It's too bad that he slipped as far as he did.
1: Yeah, and i tell you what, like the reason I say that, too, is because like I, I, don't, I don't care. If, I said from the get-go that I think he should go. Like, I was hoping he stayed as a fan. Yeah, I would love for him to stay another year. But, like, you know what I didn't want to see if he did stay another year is the same scrutiny that he's constantly under. Because he would have faced it, that if he came exactly. back. Exactly. And if he gets hit by somebody, and, and and they don't protect quarterbacks in college football the way they do in the NFL. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, I talked about this with Chuck Smith the other day. He made a really good point. And, and, and I've I've said this for a long time about NFL quarterbacks. And, and, and I don't, the shift that we've seen recently is you draft them high, they start right away. And if he's injured, I want him to have a healthy return and, and obviously, like I said, make the best decision for him. But what an incredible, like this this is the perfect setup if a team does take him and he's able to sit out a year and able to learn an offense and able to study under somebody else that's the current quarterback. Where it's not like all this extra pressure and then rushing back from injury and doing it the right way. Like they used to do a lot in the NFL, like Aaron Rodgers did. I know he wasn't coming back from injury, but like that system I think seems to work when you're not just thrusting a kid into all of this chaos that is the NFL because it's a much faster, tougher game. The, the one thing I will say about, you know, you said like this has become like a spectacle and the fact that it was, I know it rubbed people the wrong way. I could like completely acknowledge that, that, you know, he had, it, it, on the ESPN app, it had its own channel. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the two announcement, like, and, and people were making it uh, a lot of, a lot of comments about how this is stupid. There's no reason why he he should have this much attention or he's, he's being attention sinking and, and selfish about it. And, I, I'm just gonna say right now if you if you th- you're everyone's entitled their opi- their opinion but if, if that is honestly your thought about this kid, you're an idiot and that's your opinion's wrong and I don't care how that sounds that kid has done nothing to to give us anything close to thinking that about him ever once in his entire career and and just so everyone's on the same page I can I can thousand percent verify and tell you that he wanted to announce this on his Instagram page that's what everything was planned to do over the weekend. Alabama like actually commented about it like the, the beat writers and 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 they said we're not we're not anticipating a press conference. The reason right. why he even had the press conference is because Nick Saban asked him to have yeah. the press conference. So and I, and I got fired up about this yesterday because it was like you know not just because it's Tua or because I'm a Bama fan, it's because like the internet's so quick to react like negatively to stuff and pile on to this kind of stuff and when we don't know all the facts and this was one of the situations and and what what Saban said I think everyone should listen to is that like especially like that's that's criticizing uh like why this was like a huge spectacle he has had more of an impact than any other player in the history of that program and it's a pretty pretty you know big program and and i think he was right i think that's why it was important
0: he wanted to give him that platform too i i think he did i don't think he wanted to be on it though yeah i mean i two is not that type of guy and But at the same time, you know, I think Sabin kind of recognized look, this is somebody who has just been. Somebody that's been such a main part of the college football landscape the last couple of years, it'd feel weird if he just kind of announced it via Instagram. We, we feel that he has been the face of our program, and we want to do right by that no matter what he decides. And I think that that would have been a case if he came back to school. It would have been the case if he decided yeah. to go the NFL, which ultimately that's what he did. But to me, this isn't necessarily about attention-seeking or no. anybody like that that's trying to you know, say, like, oh, why do you do it this way, this way? Tell him, everyone tell him else. That. Everyone else did it on Instagram. Yeah, like to uh Tebow announced he was coming back, you know, at at, at, a, at the parade. At a, pep rally. Like, yeah. at a parade. Like that that to me is, you know, Well I, and the I don't mean to interrupt, but
1: I, I am going to. The the other thing about that is that they do this every year.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Remember Derrick Henry and Aishon Robinson, that picture of that, yeah. which is just so funny. I mean that I, I still I crack off every time it's I see ridiculous, that. But at at the you're right, they do this every year. And that's, it, an, it makes sense. It
1: does. And I think that, you know, this is one of those things where it's like 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 he he necessarily didn't want to do it and then like he was asked to do it and he obliged and 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 i tell you what if it's it's one of those things where because this is i remember when tebow left i had a lot of the same ignorant like thoughts because he was a rival quarterback he beat my team and he was i was like oh he's not that great he's he did this and that and like you know it's not that important and i was wrong about all that it was it was rooted in ignorance and fandom um the stuff about Tua, just just like kind of going over his career and why this like the impact that he had at this program. This is because because a lot of us in and part of this is my fault. I, I made the comment last year i him being soft and, and and the injuries have been such an, a huge huge part of his time there and they've had an impact. They'll have an impact on his legacy and, in a lot of people's eyes. But I when I look at his career, he basically started for a year and a half, right? Yeah, like he yeah, basically essentially. Started, he, he's essentially started for a year and a half. He had twenty four total starts. His and. His entire career, right? Twenty-four starts. That's so less than Manziel. He had, he had better numbers than Manziel. He had. He will end his career as as the SEC's all-time leader in pass efficiency rating. Uh, He's which, going to be
0: the most efficient passer in college football history. He that, actually that won't. He
1: won't win that because he had the. Uh, he didn't take. He needed one more snap, and he didn't take it in the in the bowl game. Uh, he would have he set the all-time did. record for QBR or something like that.
0: ESPN disagrees then. In terms of passing efficiency, he is he is still, according to them, going to end his oh, career as the most efficient I meant, passer. I make QBR.
1: But either way, he ends he ended as the SEC's all-time leader in pass efficiency rating, complete percentage yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt, and total yards per play. And, and he, he's finished ninth in total touchdowns with 96 and seventh in total passing touchdowns in eight, with 87. And the only seven of those touchdowns came in the fourth quarter of games. It,
0: pretty good. It was a, it was a pretty, pretty, pretty good, good career, man. It was a pretty good career. Pretty good. Yeah, he was, I'm going to miss watching him at the college ranks. I, I really am. And he is somebody that I have just enjoyed every single chance. And it doesn't matter who they're playing. That's when you know that you are a fun, exciting player. Is that you tune in in the same way that we talked about Manziel or Cam or Tebow, these guys that we, we want to watch, even when they're playing you know, the, the crappy teams, that you know that they're going to be pulled at halftime, that to me was what separated Tua and what made him so fun to watch. Obviously, he would have liked to have ended his career in a different way, but still won the national championship to me. You know, We've already kind of talked about his legacy and run through it, but it, it is still safe to me. So let's spin it forward a little bit because Tua, now that we know that he is going... We know that he is going, Xavier McKinney's going, Jerry Judy, Jedrick Wills, Trayvon Diggs, staying at Alabama, Dylan Moses, Alex Leatherwood, Devontae Smith, as we found out right before we came on that Devontae Smith is coming back. To be determined, Najee Harris and Henry Ruggs. There have been reports that Henry Ruggs will be leaving. We'll wait to see officially on that. But as it relates to 2020 Alabama, because that's what we 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 have to do, is we have to talk about how this impacts this team moving forward. If we had been talking about Tua coming back, whew, that preseason buzz would have been off the charts. And it would have been probably Bama as the preseason number two in the number two team in the country just because Trevor Lawrence is returning for Clemson. We would expect Clemson to be the preseason number one. The quarterback battle is, well, before we talk about that, is Bama, do you think you know, given the names that we have mentioned there, and I know there are a couple of things we're waiting on. Do you think Bama starts in in the top three going into next year?
1: Yeah, always. <laughs> like I don't know if they but, should, but I think they will because it's voted on by. I mean, yeah, I think it's the name alone. I mean, like like, I think Georgia should be ahead of them. I think. Uh, I don't know. Ohio all State LSU with Justin has. Fields. That's that's my yeah. question. Is, I do Georgia and Ohio State. Yeah, I, I will um, say though, what's crazy about this, and I. I like, I'm like a, I'm not like somber and sad that two is gone because I, but it's like a weird thing. Oh man, like that kind of sucks because it's like you know it's a, it's a big big piece for next year. Lost in all of this is what you just said. These are three players that were all projected in not by the draft projections that like we talked about with two, but like the all like the McShay, Kuiper, all those things. These are three first round picks that are <laughs> I mean, all, Moses Underwood and Smith. Yeah, three first round picks are coming <laughs> back for next year, which is a, that's huge.
0: That rarely happens. I don't it think it's ever. Like yeah, I've never seen that happen. At Alabama. And that's that's going to be the difference. I think this team is going to have a much different identity with with Moses alone. I mean, that, that just kind of changes things in the way that Alabama's defense is going to be able to function. Um, so I think this quarterback battle, just as it was entering the 2018 season where it's the most interesting quarterback battle in the country, one of the most interesting quarterback battles we've ever had, I think it is now really, really interesting going into this year, and you're going to hear so much about this, and understandably so. The fact that you have Talia Tungabailoa, you have an incoming five-star guy and Bryce Young and Mac Jones. Tua even talked about it in his press conference today about how interesting that battle is going to be and how great that competition. He actually failed to mention Paul Tyson, the great-grandson of Bear Bryant, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, I think this, this situation would have been... Even more, Maybe even more interesting if Tua had come back to see what Bryce Young and Mac Jones would have done. And I'm not saying interesting because Bama fans would have been like, oh, yes, this is good. You worry, obviously, about quarterbacks transferring in this day and age. Had Tua come back, where Mac Jones could have ended up, maybe a place like Georgia. That to me would be just crazy, crazy intriguing for the college football world. But now it is still a battle that we're going to follow very, very closely. I'll give you
1: a hot take on it right now: that Talia ends up at LSU. Wow.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's that's something I'm here for. Yeah. Well, will he be on LSU's roster in 2020 with immediate eligibility?
1: I I don't know if it's going to happen that soon. I, I I I think Mac Jones is a great quarterback. Um, and everything for this Bryce Young kid is like, like he he I don't know he won the the MVP of the All American game all that kind of yep. stuff and he's he's gotten like, you know I haven't honestly watched him close enough to to get into that just because you know like, like recruiting is, is a whole other animal. Um, but Talia was very sought after from LSU. His official LSU visit made was, that late push, yeah, yeah, and that was LSU. His official visit LSU was the weekend of the Bama game. You mm-hmm. saw, remember, like Coach O was with him personally. Walking down the field, I think. I think. Just with, I love Tua and I love the family and all that kind of stuff. But with the theatrics that have somehow or sometimes uh, gone on, like it's like how close knit their family is, I could see them. Like if if he's not the guy,
0: oh, I, I see what you're
1: saying. I yeah. could see Talia not being at that school anymore. Talia's is going to be the guy somewhere.
0: Yeah, it's just uh, it's just a matter of where that exactly is going to be. Bryce is LSU. What if what if Bryce Young just repeated history and <laughs> against USC, just like Jalen Hurts did a oh, yeah. couple years ago, where Jalen Hurts wasn't starting in that game against USC. He comes in, and they, of course, dominate in the second half. If Bryce Young were to do the same thing and to do that to USC, where he's from, against the school that recruited him and made yeah. that late push for him, I mean, that would be, oof, yikes well, for if USC. if Mac Young just continues to ball
1: out and we finally give him credit. It's just like... Not me and you. I'm just saying in general. But yeah, I, I was I would tell you. I don't even think it's a bold prediction. I, like you guys write it down, and I want you to remember who said it first. Well, not, I didn't say it first,
0: but, but <laughs> Talia of throat, will be at LSU. Wow. Yeah, All right, I'm I'm here for that. Um, and and who knows how the the start of the schedule is going to impact that Alabama quarterback battle. You have USC in Week One, and then oh by the way, you host Georgia Week Three, and that Georgia defense with the pieces returning. We found out over the weekend that Richard LeCount's coming back for Georgia. Man, that, uh, that is potential to be a very, very special unit for sure. All right. Let's move on to something that I didn't think we were going to be talking about. I'll be honest. And when this came down, there was speculation on Thursday night. I saw Ross Dellinger reported that there was, there was rumors that MSU was really thinking about firing Joe Moorhead. And as we find out Friday morning, that is the case. Athletic Director John Cohen said that Moorhead wasn't a fit. Said that the the bowl game performance, which was just a total disaster, or something that we criticized last week a lot, and the the practice altercation, and that that really kind of led to this decision being made. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this, and I've tried to kind of dial it back. And I I'm admitting here, I like Joe Moorhead a lot. I I, I really really do. I mean, I've I've been a big believer of his for the last four years that i've watched this guy in his offense very closely i've seen it up close in person at penn state i saw what it did to that really good wisconsin defense in the big 10 championship back in 2016 like i, I am i am a more guy barkley. through and through with saquon barkley who was really good but not not saquon barkley until joe moore had showed up worth mentioning i think that for me this is a bad look for mississippi state for for john cohen for a lot of people involved with, with this, this football program to see a move made like this after year two for a variety of reasons. I thought that the fight was bad. I, I thought it was, as I said, it was the, the sign of a team that was kind of coming apart at the seams. Bad look, all of that. I felt that it was used a little bit more of an excuse, and it was kind of a reactionary deal when you're making this decision after a bowl game after a game in which it's not an excuse, they obviously had a lot of guys out in that game, still no excuse for being able to allow 31 straight points in that game, something that we've talked about. But to make this decision at the timing that they did, after all makes the hire of Lane Kiffin, after you already have signed an entire recruiting class and who knows what are going to happen to yeah. those kids who they're still trying to keep with their national letters of intent and they're trying to say, hey, look, you know, you signed to a school, you didn't sign to a coach necessarily. To me, that's crap. They should be able to yeah, be let go from their national letter intents if that, if that is what they want. But the deck was stacked against Moorhead, and part of that was his own doing. Showing up and doing the ring-size comment, in hindsight, and he admitted it. He admitted it this past year at SEC Media Days. It was a mistake. But it always goes back to you never want to be the guy after the guy. And he was the guy after the guy. Mullen was that guy for that program. He wasn't Dan Mullen. But if you looked at their first two years and you saw that Joe Moorhead was 14 and 12 with a 7 and 9 record in the SEC, you'd be surprised to see that Dan Mullen was 14 and 11 with a 7 and 9 record in the SEC. But expectations and perceptions shape everything. Mullen did not have the roster that Moorhead did. Moorhead had that roster because of Dan Mullen, and that was held against him. And I understand it. And the fact that they only had eight wins last year, despite the fact that that was the most tied for the most wins for a first year Mississippi State coach ever, despite that number, it didn't matter because what Mullen left for Moorhead was supposed to be a 10-win team, as I had talked about. He disappointed in that year. But did what he did in those first two years warrant him to be fired? In my opinion, no way. No way. You needed to give him that year three. And to me, going to two straight bowl games and having the, the two seasons that they did did not warrant an athletic director saying, you know what, I'm cutting bait on this hire. I'm making this decision right now. I can't dig us into any deeper of a hole.
1: Connor, if you came on this podcast and the first thing out of your mouth when you came onto the podcast, if we got any pushback or just in general or there was stuff that was rocky or, or whatever, and the first thing you brought up was, I'm not from here, I'm a Yankee, you're going to have to drag my Yankee ass out of here, and you were combative with the people that were in a totally different part of a region you were ever comfortable with, how do you think that reaction would go over
0: Oh, I think Joe Moorhead was comfortable in the South. I don't think that was there's any question about that. I think he was not embraced by a lot of people who were quick to cite that and quick to say, how is this Yankee performing and how is he taking away everything that we thought we had? And I get it. There's a sense of pride. No, and on. it was a grunt. A-
1: answer the question. How do you think that would go over?
0: Oh, if I if I said that to my to my bosses to, to, and I said to that to the our fans,
1: audience, it would not go well. No. It would and not it go deservingly well. so. And you in in like the the issue you're right about a lot of stuff in here with Moorhead and stuff he did and and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't think things went south because of the ring sizing comment. I think things went south because he had he he did underperform. He did there's,
0: no no. I, I didn't say they went south because of that. I'm saying he didn't live up to expectations right. those were the the bar that he set too high for. himself. Okay, yep.
1: right. So I, and I agree with that. And and I I think I think that in this this is there's a few situations. I'm not saying this in a, in a bad way. I think it's just like me like analyzing it. There's a few situations in in our on our podcast or in the SEC, where you're closer to your reactions because of your not fandom, but your like like or appreciation for something or someone versus it being strictly, like, logical context and in, in, in reacting that way. I think you did, a good like, a great job of, of putting on both sides and what he did wrong, but I think the reason why you're upset is because you like Moorhead. You're a Moorhead guy. You got to see what he did at Penn State, and, like, and no one else did. When he came to the SEC, not a single person in this conference, people that didn't re- report on it, you were, like, unique in that sense that you had, you had been following this. You knew the Moorhead offense and how much it improved and all this kind of stuff, and you were kind of ahead of the curve on that. What I will say is that, like, yeah, he, he did great with with a generational player that has been compared to Barry Sanders, and and he didn't do that at Mississippi State. And he, on top of that, I think when he took he he he's he's so much fun and likable and a great dude and like likes rap, like is is like a Love cool interview. Hip-hop. Just, he's that. like a, he's just a, he's a dude. You want to you want to hang out with him? Like he's he's a fun he's a fun guy. Like I, I'd rather hang out with him than. Almost any other coach in the SEC, because he seems like one of us. He's he's a a dude like that. But what where he went wrong was, and this happens, I think, you know, it can happen a lot of times with people. Is the moment there's pushback from somebody over cultural differences or regional, like they're not from the same area or whatever. Both sides got defensive, and Joe Moorhead got very defensive. And when he tried to kind of pound his chest after the Egg Bowl, especially after like they they escaped with that win over a kid doing a fake dog pee celebration. They should have won that game. And like yeah, but he, felt, he mismanaged the team the whole feel, year.
0: If you if you're a coach and you feel like everybody has questioned every single thing that you've done throughout the year and you feel like that was your what game. What did he do? Right, no, no, he, he,
1: beat, he beat a team that was 4 and 8? Like like if that if that's if everyone's questioning you because you lost to Tennessee, you lost to Kansas State, you beat Kentucky. You I mean like he, he hadn't done anything. He had he, he did nothing of significance besides go six and six and beating a four and eight team to get there at the very end. Like he I, I, I like Joe Moore as a person. He he didn't do anything this season. He he brought in a transfer quarterback from Penn State and Tommy Stevens and he mismanaged the quarterback situation the whole year. It, like it the, the offense was trash without without uh, Kylan Hill. The defense took a major step back from last year. and That's going to happen because you have three first round draft picks. But when that all happens and you're not doing things to defend yourself, I get I get like the ego that goes into it and wanting to be like, hey, we made a bowl. And he did do things that were similar to Mullen. And you're right, you don't want to be the guy after the guy. And, and Mississippi State's program it hasn't ever had this like huge huge vaunted history. But when you come into that situation, it's still a proud, proud fan base and you're in the SEC. Yep. And when no you doubt. go out of your way to, con- like like Chuck Oliver talked to us the other day and he said, he's like, you know, this is one of the situations where it's like, hey, hey, we get it. Everything's fine. We're going to move forward. Just don't, just, just be quiet for a little while. Don't say anything. And he couldn't do it. He refused to do it because he was too prideful, in my opinion. And that's why he got let go. And I think he deserved to be let go.
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you that that when you have an entire fan base that's calling you out and saying that you can't succeed in this place and do that, and that's what everybody had been questioning and calling him, I, you know what, and it frustrates me because, yeah, I'm a, I'm a native Midwesterner, and when you use that word against me, a Yankee, and use it in a derogatory way as if to say, I don't understand this, this, and this, it pisses me off. And every single time I hear something like that, just like Moorhead does, he thinks to himself, oh, these are people that think I just don't get it and I'm not going to be able to succeed in this place despite the fact that he was recruiting top 25 classes despite the fact that he had beaten Ole Miss twice. I'm not saying that that's definitively the reason that somebody needs to stay and needs to stay in a job, but when people are repeatedly using that word against you, yes, it's going to come out in that heat of the moment thing after a game like that, after a big emotional win where you beat your rival. I get all of that. To me... There was never going to be a way in which he was going to get public. He was going to get public support from this, from you know the, the university, the fan base, all these different things, unless he did exactly what Mullen was yeah. able to do in the time that he left. Oh, it was, he was and never so for me to their expectations. That's that's the that's so that's that's the thing that frustrates me the most though, is that is that following a situation like Mullen was in because of where he where he came from. And because that was used against him and it seemed like this guy just clearly doesn't get it. And then, and you saw from Cohen. Cohen used that as his, as his out to be able to say, oh, this wasn't the right fit, blah, blah, blah. It's like, he had two years, and this was a guy that you hand plucked, and you said, This is going to be the guy to replace Mullen. And Mississippi State did not fall off the face of the earth. I realize they did not achieve what, what Moorhead had been hoping that they were going to, but this was still a program that was ranked going into the playoff and going into the postseason as of last year. And at a place like Mississippi State that has one win in SEC play in the 21st century, this isn't Florida State. This isn't a place that says, You know what, we've, we've seen what you've done 14 and 12 through two years isn't good enough. Six Power Five coaches from 1990 to 2018 were fired before the start of their third season. We have since seen in this very short period of time, the last month and a half, Three guys, Willie Taggart, Chad Morris, Joe Moorhead, all fall into that group. Joe Moorhead was different than either of those two guys. Chad Morris didn't win a single SEC game. He lost to three group of five teams that he should have beat the pants off of. Willie Taggart at a place that had the longest active bull streak in the country. All that program did was win. I realize Jimbo Fisher left that program not in the best state, but firing Willie Taggart when they did made sense because he couldn't even sign a quarterback. Joe Moorhead was in a different position than those two guys. So anybody that's going to sit here and compare him to those, yeah. that to me is ridiculous I don't, in
1: itself. I don't I don't disagree with you on that, and I'm going to say this and I don't want you to get offended by it, but like just being like logical about it, like like the Yankee thing, like there there are things you don't get. There are things he doesn't get. And that's not a bad thing. You work your ass off more than anyone in this like that I've ever been around in this industry to try and learn. Like and, and 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 like accept and and understand and all this other stuff because you're not from here and it and like that's not a bad thing, Connor. Like you're a healthier person than like than all of us. Like than, than having like these irrational. Don't eat
0: deep fried food all the time. <laughs> that's, that's also true. Is.
1: But when you like in the in the South, it is different, and it's not just that it just means more. And I'm trying to like sound like this proud, like yo, you you ain't from around here, boy. You don't get it. But For there, sure. there is a part of it where that you, you didn't get it. Like, when he came in, I, I said, I, you said he's going to win 10 games. I said, Connor, that program has never won more than 10 games. I said they were the South Carolina yep. of the East. And it's it's stuff that is, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't have expectations at all. But, like, just, you go over this, like, there's a lot of stuff, I think, that that he, when you, when you, when there is backlash, and it's not like that it should have been warranted for Joe Moorhead, that he should have been ostracized for being.
0: He deserved criticism, and we've criticized him here before, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: but, but, and, but, like, I don't think the reason he was fired came down to the fact that he's a Yankee. We don't want him here it, at all, at, at all, because because the players obviously liked him, and the you know he had a lot of things like that. Actually, he didn't have a lot of things. He had a few things like that 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 were his leg to stand on. And when when you go when you when you sit here and you underperform for two years in a row, and I don't give it, I don't give a crap that he won eight games, which is the most ever Mississippi State history. That's not a proud history of football. Like they they don't have a lot of like like great stats to back up like why this program is great. You win eight games. You he did underperform. He shouldn't have won ten. Yep. But he definitely underperformed. He lost games he shouldn't have lost. He. You brought up the fact they were ranked going into the postseason, Connor. They have finished ranked only 14 times in their entire career, in their entire program history. Neither with Joe Moorhead, like he, he this year especially. That that schedule was easier than than like you, you're you're in the, the toughest division in football, but your schedule was a joke compared to the rest of those teams. You didn't play a And schedule, like hell. You didn't even play Bama schedule, like like they 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 had a better year than Arkansas, and you're right about that. But he continuously underperformed, and when you go out and you beat an Ole Miss team that was four and eight, and you beat your chest and say that, like, you know what, like, you know, the players like me, this is my damn team, this is my program, blah blah, and, and the leg you have to stand on is you, you won the Egg Bowl by default, and then you go to a bowl game and your players are fighting each other to where your quarterback is knocked out of the of the game, and it's like that's that's a problem.
0: Okay, I'm not I'm not saying that this is this is dismissible, and I thought that Willie Gay should have been suspended for the Music City Bowl. I get that practice fights happen oh yeah like, let's not make this let's not make this out to be like oh because this happened at mississippi state this is a sign that like the guy has just lost the program entirely like to me that was a little bit used from mississippi state fans is too much of a leg to stand on and getting embarrassed that's what this came off as and it to yeah. me the problem is that john cohen looked at this situation and this is a guy who's a first-time athletic director yep. and he said you know what i see public public support is clearly against Joe Moorhead right now, and that's what I go back to—the stuff about being called this Yankee, being this outsider who's ruining what Dan Mullen is is built, and all those things. And if public support is that much against you, if you're an athletic director, that's what you're going to be judged by—true or false. If you're an athletic director at an SEC program, the the livelihood of yourself is going to be based on the on the football coaches that you hire. Not at Mississippi State.
1: I, they Connor they, they they were a top program in women's basketball. They were a top program in baseball every single year. Yes, they, they just spent hundreds millions of dollars on this incredible baseball. I don't think people at Mississippi State necessarily identify with themselves and this isn't a bad thing. Football is king in the South, football's king at every SEC school. Yes, you're right about that. But his him being an AD, he didn't I don't think any part of him did this because he was just trying to like grasp for something for public support so he looked better I think I think he was warranted in doing it I, like like if I if I said there's there are sometimes like and you've probably been here way less than I have but like when you are you are in a argument with a your significant other or, or somebody or a boss and you you know you want to say something and you know you want to clap back and the best thing to do though is to just be quiet and let it go and And I think that's all you had to do. But when you clap back and then you start giving reasons as to why the other person's wrong and those reasons are rooted in the things that then come to light as are negative, it looks bad.
0: It does look bad. I I mean, I think this is somebody, though, who is... Just been losing public support since the minute he got there. And I think that weighed on him for sure. It absolutely did. Should that be something that fires a coach before his third year? In my opinion, no. Joe Moorhead, I'll admit it. He deserved to be on hot seat lists going into year three but he deserved to have a year three. He deserved right. to be able to have one more year to run it back with, with, yes, maybe with another quarterback. The Nick Fitzgerald thing didn't work out as well as we thought it was going to. He was not a good fit in Joe Moore's system, despite the fact that the numbers actually showed he improved in the latter half of the yeah. season. But I get it. He underperformed. That's that's not you know, debatable for all that. But I, I just think that somebody in his position at a Power 5 program, you deserve to have a third year.
1: And I will say with Mississippi State, just so we're all on the same page here, this is a program that has played football for 115 years. In those 115 years, they have one AP Top 10 finish in 1940. Uh, total 10 win seasons, they have three. They've never won more than 10. They've never won more than 10 in, in any year in their entire program. Uh, seasons with nine or more wins, they have nine total. Mullen had four of those. So you're right about it. Like, it sucks to be the guy after the guy. And, and they've only finished ranked in the AP poll at the end of the season. 14 total times, and never more than three times in a single decade.
0: And fans, fans aren't going to get this, but in terms of how it impacts the coaching race, and maybe by the time that we're finishing this, MSU is going to be zeroed in on a candidate. But what we know, or at least from what we've been told so far, was that Billy Napier was the primary candidate mm-hmm. that Mississippi State was going after. That is what I had heard immediately right after that Mississippi State boosters were expecting him to be named the head coach there. That, however, has since been denied, that he, he is denied even being a candidate. And you look at the pool of candidates who are available. I'm not saying it's a bad pool of candidates. It's a different time in the coaching carousel. But here's the issue. If you are saying, as a head coach, I'm going to uproot my life to go be, be the head coach at Mississippi State and have John Cohen be my boss... You want to say that you have a a boss who trusts you and trusts you and gives you time to be able to build this thing up the way that you see fit. And if you're a head coach and you have a little bit of hesitancy, and I'm not sure if this factored into Billy Napier's decision, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but what kind of message does it send if if you're going to work for an athletic director who just fired somebody in Moorhead's position after two years, Given what they had went, given what they had gone through, and given what he was able to do, and I'm not saying it was as good as Mullen. I'm not saying that, but that is a tough message to send into the coaching world, and it's not exactly the most inviting thing to say. Oh, look, come play for us. Does, does John Cohen have to sit there and accept the mediocrity all day? No I'm not saying that but there are other things that factor into moves like this that are very drastic that are more than just oh this guy wasn't winning at the level that he wanted so he's gone boom, we'll find somebody else who can
1: yeah I, I, I agree with that to an extent but I also think that there's a point just in the same way that you want to be able to trust your employer that employer wants to be able to know like hey man you're my employee and if if I'm if I'm trying to explicitly tell you like hey, dial it down a notch, like lay low for a minute. Stop. Like, don't be, don't, don't make yourself like, don't make yourself a target,
0: a bigger target than you already have. But he been. went on—he went on national TV on Fine on Feinbaum. it Well, I guess Feinbaum, SEC Network, yeah. not technically national TV. He went on TV and had this awkward press conference in the middle of the season in year two. It didn't even deny that. Oh yeah, like he's going to be our guy. He's coming back for sure. And it, I think from that point on, yeah, it's, it's I, you make it awkward. I think he believed
1: he was going to be his guy, and I think that there was there was stuff going on behind the scenes that were like, hey man, like why is this not happening? Why is this not improving? Why like the, like? And here's here's another question for you. Connor's like if he came back for year three, what are the expectations? What do you think he would have done differently? Because they're still they're still the same program. And it's like you're you're further removed from Mullen's players, and I get that he yep. he recruited a top twenty-five class, it was ranked literally number twenty-five, and that's not you know, that's not a knock on him, but like
0: consecutive top twenty-five
1: classes. I think was that was ranked eleventh in, in the conference, yep. right? Tenth or eleventh in the conference? Probably, yeah. So I don't know where you think that he's going to necessarily vault to or or, or go ahead of. Other teams in the same conference. I don't. I don't know their schedule for next year. Are they getting Kentucky again?
0: I haven't. I haven't looked closely at the schedule. So uh,
1: I just don't know what the expectations would be is for. Be. And like, if it's if you go into next year and it's like, do we want another seven and five season or six and six season where it's the same same crap and we make the same excuses? And you know, and one other thing about this is like, I think one problem we have, and you you've handled everything from a logical standpoint and done the research and and are stating your opinion and, and giving like valid points as to why that's your opinion. And but like. One thing that's that I think people can lose sight of sometimes is if you're if you are on the outside of of this program, because we're not we didn't go to Mississippi State. We're not we don't live in Mississippi. I've never been to Starkville. Like if if it comes off as even more like almost offensive when you're trying to tell a fan base like this is why you're wrong. This is why you're wrong. It's like, hold on. I've been watching this my entire life. And I'm telling you right now, mm-hmm. yeah, not that maybe my expectations are too high because of Moorhead, but like, this is my thing. This is not your yeah. thing or your thing or your thing. Like, yep. like, so you don't get to come in here and tell me how things are gonna be different. And, and, and especially from the coaching standpoint, you don't get to come in, tell me things to be different. And then they're the same.
0: Yeah. Shout out to my guy, Sarthik, who we, we, we talked a little bit about, about Mississippi state and just kind of the, the dynamics at play there. Look, like, I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Part of this, part of this is the fact that he is my guy and he is somebody that I I have liked and I've, you know, been in good communication with throughout his time there. And like, I, I feel, yeah, there, there of course is a sense of pride and like, I'm trying to be as logical as possible. And, and would I be saying this if I thought that he was just a regular human being who I had no sort of background yeah. with or like somebody that I followed closely. And, and I, I really, really truly believe that I would still be banging the drum for him not obviously having the you know the the personal context to be able to provide with it as well, but you see some of the stories that have come out. I think it was I think it was the Starkville Times, the local Starkville paper, that had a great story about him. You know about Morehead and you know his efforts to be able to to help the homeless over the Yeah, colonies. he's a great like, dude. Yeah, like nobody's nobody's denying that. And I think you know the the frustrating thing to me is that you see a, a group of fans who never fully embraced him when Morehead, in my opinion, did everything and more to try and show his. His entire self and to try and adapt to this area and try and adapt to Starkville and try and truly say, Look, this is my home. I'm embracing you. I'm doing everything I can to try and learn this new area of the country because so many people in this world, I'm not accusing necessarily everybody of doing this, but. What do they say 50% of people in this world never leave their hometown and instead they just sit there? Oh, I'm, I I guess I think, I'm a, that person. <laughs> not a thing. No, you left you left your hometown. Yeah, I mean sure. you you know you, I guess you know you lived in Columbia for part of your life as well, but like so many people never leave their hometown, leave their hometown yeah. and they sit there and they judge people who come into it. And yeah. to me like that's the frustrating thing when it would be different if Morehead had a different attitude I think throughout this process in terms of embracing kind of the culture, embracing who Mississippi state is, Starkville, all those things, but to me that for whatever reason didn't do him any favors with the public. I, I think that it's just uh, it, it's frustrating for me just to kind of see the way the things have developed. That's fair. All right, I'm out of breath now. I'm out of breath. Let's get more out of breath. <laughs> let's talk about some all-decade team stuff. Um, so I want to. I'll start, start with...
1: you stupid Yankee. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um,
0: let's start with let's start with the offense and keep in mind. Um, So when it comes to all-decade stuff, you can look at this from a variety of ways. And I I think that it's the guys who defined a decade for me. And, And sometimes that can be a career body of work. Sometimes there are cases like Cam Newton where it's just one season. But that one season was so ridiculously good that you feel like you have to reward it. So keep that in mind as we kind of go through some of this stuff because there are guys who, you know, like Aaron Murray's got better career numbers than Cam Newton, but did he ever have a season that transcended college football like Cam Newton? No. So to me, leaving Cam Newton off the all-decade team would just be offensive and, and to me I, I can't I can't make that case you could almost make the case that he deserves to be the offensive MVP you could probably make a good case that he deserves to be the offensive MVP just because of the 2010 season that he had where he was you know the only offensive player drafted that following year from that Auburn team as Gene Chiswick likes to bring up to us what were your thoughts as we kinda of go through and do I would it be better if I went through the all decade team and then we kind of circled well, back to I'll it? I'll tell
1: you my thoughts first and and tell you because like this was so frustrating reading some of this stuff and it's like it, this is this is all gonna be for the most part rooted in opinion, right?
0: It hundred percent. It's hard. A lot of these things are very, very similar. And, and, yeah. and
1: peel behind the end when we did this, I like I, one of the things I'm doing in twenty twenty is I'm just gonna be more honest now and And you weren't
0: being honest before you were lying. Yeah, I was
1: lying to everyone. <laughs> I've never told y'all how I truly feel about anything um but, <laughs> excuse me. so the thing with um the thi- the thing with the all decade team was that bothered me was like it's a very tough task to come up with, right. And every, everyone's gonna is. have a lot of different opinions. And so it's it's almost doomed to fail from the start because everyone's gonna be yeah. like, and so and it's it's interesting too. The quarterback thing is gonna be the most like pro, like uh what's the word for polarizing out of any of the ar- arguments? Because it's like one, most of these players are from rival schools, and most True. of these players had these seasons where every other fan base was sick of hearing about them. You know what I mean? Aaron mm-hmm. Murray is honestly the only one I think that if you went across the board, people would be like, Aaron Murray's a good guy, I like Aaron Murray. Like if it was like Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, Tua, Burrow, any of that, they'd be like, "Ah, overrated, hate him." Here's <laughs> why. And and so it was it was frustrating for me though because we had the way it was delivered on some of the stuff was like, like, all right, here's here's the all decade team that you came up with, which is great. And then I got like another task of like, here's who we think the best player of all, all the whole decade was. And none of them were the players that were on the all decade team. I was like, oh my God. Right. right. So, yeah,
0: that's it's tough because we, you know, sometimes it looks like I I don't speak for everybody at SDS. And there's a common misconception sometimes when these things go up. And it it would just, you know, this happens with publications everywhere. ESPN comes out with some sort of list. Everybody thinks that everybody at ESPN has this opinion when it's probably like one or two people writing it. Right. So, this is an example of that. This is an all decade. I'll say it. (laughs) <laughs> this is an all-decade team that that I came up with, and I know that you're you're going to have plenty of disagreements on this. And Adam Spencer does, and Michael Bratton does, and <laughs> and, and you know our, our boss Chris, you know our editor Chris Wright, and our boss you know Kevin Duffy and John Cooper. I'm sure they have totally different opinions on the way that all this. Word, stuff I'm going to text all
1: those guys about you, so it's like yeah, it's yeah like, exactly. Is, I expect
0: nothing less. Um, so let's let's go through let's go through the roster first and then we're going to kind of circle back to some of these these interesting talking points so as i just mentioned my quarterback is cam newton running back two spots derrick henry nick chubb receiver amari cooper jerry judy jordan matthews tight end evan ingram offensive line ryan kelly barrett jones luke jekyll jake matthews jonah williams ap this was really really tough, and we'll have to discuss this. But I had Odell Beckham, was, and I kind of regret wrong. not. I kind of regret not putting Lynn Bowden, but I'll explain why I at least put Beckham because that was not my intention. When you say all players
1: does that mean just like an extra player, or is that like is that like special teams?
0: It's 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 it, yeah. It's a player that has to have played special teams, which okay. people forget. He won the Paul Horning Award in 2013. He actually had three return touchdowns in his career, thousand return yards his his uh, his junior year at LSU. I actually had no intention of putting him in that spot, and then I actually went back and looked at some of the numbers and realized he was better from an all-purpose standpoint than I probably realized. Now remember. I did all of this stuff in the middle of December, Christmas. so it's not like I'm doing this. Yeah, it's not like I'm doing all of this right after we just watched Lynn Bowden have this incredible swan song game or something like that. I'm not sure how much that would have factored into it, but I kind of regret not putting him in that AP slot. Um, yeah, that's fair. So let's talk about quarterback first because the honorable mention on this list are really, really good. Really good. The guys who I did not have, but probably you can make a case for. Tua... Burrow and Burrow, I think if Burrow wins the national championship, you could make a legitimate case that he deserves to be at the spot at quarterback for the year that he's had. You could definitely make a case for it. Um Johnny Manziel, AJ McCarron, Deck Prescott, Aaron Murray. Tell me where who I left off because Adam Spencer of course reminded me, "Hey, Drew Locke, no love. What's up with that?" Um <laughs> where's the where's the disagreement with that group?
1: Um this was something I struggled with even since like like the two a thing People aren't gonna to want to hear it um, because it's Tua, and and I don't want to have to defend it. But I already gave you the stats as to why it's pretty incredible what he did. Had better numbers than Manzel, like you know, he finished in the top ten in almost every single possible offensive category for a player in the mm-hmm. SEC in SEC history, and then he wasn't in the top twenty-five in total plays. That's gosh, that's really that's good. <laughs> so stupid. That's really freaking like, good. Like uh, I would, I wouldn't. McCarron was he was fine. Like uh, people forget that Aaron Murray has is the all time leader in in career touchdowns and passing yards in the SEC, yeah. which is an mm-hmm. incredible stat. It's not really that close. Um, so it's it's I I could because when I first saw his name on there, I was like that is ridiculous, and then I went and saw the stats I was like that is actually a very yep. solid there, point.
0: There are a few guys like that who, when you look back at their body of work, um, Jordan Matthews was one of those guys. Yeah, um, that was surprised Derek, Derek Barnett. Derek Barnett's another one where you you don't you don't initially think of them but then you look back at the their body work body and what of work. they did throughout their entire career and you're like holy crap yeah. yeah they need to be at least be you know considered part of this conversation. So, yeah,
1: I, like the Dak thing, what did he have a great career or do we kind of uh, is he the only time that Mississippi State was ever relevant? You know what I mean? Like is it, he had a good career but it's I don't know if it's on par with some of these other guys, like I don't know if he won anything of super significance, um, as much as the other other players have. He was a great quarterback though, so uh, you could throw that in there. And he also started all four years, so the numbers are there. The yep. the Burrow thing is what surprises me the most, as like like because people people forget that this is he's not a one and done guy. Like he he's yeah, like, that's amazing. People, people somehow forgot that Joe Burrow played football in the SEC a year ago, and Colin Coward. Yeah, it's also true. the the thing with the thing with uh with Cam, I I think Cam Newton is the best player I have ever had to watch play cultural against my team. Like I think he might be the best player I've ever watched the world. You just, you, there was there was no answer for it necessarily. It, it was just yeah. constantly. But that being said, there's a lot of close games, and I know he, I know we talked about Coach Chizik. He true. he had to carry that team a lot because Darvin Adams was not going to be a first round pick, and and some of those guys yeah. like he was he a lot of that was on him. Um, but when you look at Joe Burrow's numbers from this year, I don't know how you don't include this in there. It's the most passing yards in a single-season SEC history, highest, highest single-season completion percentage in NCAA history ever, ever. And then on top of that, he's one of three SEC players ever to have over 50 touchdowns in a season and one of two players in the SEC to have over 5,000 yards in a single season.
0: He's the only player ever to do both, and he's not done. And like, you know what's weird? What's that? So you bring up all that, and all that's true – and I, I banged the drum a lot for Burrow in the year that he was having said, all right, look beyond the touchdown passes. He's actually doing things better than people probably realize, um, given the the limitations, some of what they were able to do in that offense. And in a weird way, in this argument, it almost feels like the 2018 thing kind of hurts him. Were he
1: 16-5?
0: Yeah, because Cam was just one and done, and it was like, that's all we saw. But if Cam had this kind of like, ah, it's kind of like middle of the pack, SEC quarterback type deal, and don't get me wrong, Joe Burrow led LSU to a New Year's Six Bowl victory, and that matters. But if you're looking at, if Cam had another season, another full body of work, where it was just kind of like, ah, yeah, wasn't that great, but then he took his game to the next level, we'd maybe talk about him in a little bit of a different light. He would have gotten beat the next year. No, I'm saying if he had a year before oh, what he did, like he 2000. Uh, 2009, 2009 was part too. of the second he had started. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I get yeah. what you're saying.
1: I get, like it's it's almost like we over romanticized because we had the one. Exactly, season. that's a good point. Yeah. Okay, and, and, and that's yeah, that's a really good point. I, I don't think it takes anything away from it. because I like I flat out said Cam Newton. It's I like I, I was surprised he didn't make. when We did that all decade offensive player of the decade. I was shocked that no one picked him. I, he,
0: and I think it was just because of the one year thing. Yeah. And that's the thing that where it hurts him actually. Right. And
1: that's and that is what went into that as well. I think Cam is the most dominant quarterback I've I've watched over the last decade, so I would I yeah. would put him in there. The Tua and Burrow thing, I think they are closer than anybody else that we listed. I, I know Murray has great numbers and I, and I I think that is it goes unsaid. But like what Tua and Burrow have been able to do in the limited amount of time, it's almost like the opposite of the the the, man, the Murray argument, mm-hmm. I think has been equally impressive. Like let said, say the Tua thing with twenty four like like to have more touchdowns than Manziel – and you've started twenty four total games, at like four less than him. Like, what? what? I mean, in, in, like, none of the fourth quarter stuff. I, I just think Manzel, his numbers are crazy, crazy good. I think crazy good. I think C Wright said he had more yards uh, in his two years as a starter than than the Burrow and Newton seasons combined, and that was before the Peach Bowl for Burrow. But like, that's a crazy stat. Like, that's that's really impressive. The one thing I'll say is that we remember watching those games. He, the, he was the offense like he, the touches mm-hmm. he's in the top three for both both years of all time so
0: yeah it wasn't quite as efficient uh as a passer it wasn't nearly as efficient as a passer as Tua or burrow um i, I think that it, it's just it, the game has changed so much even in the last five six years yeah. i mean that's that's the incredible thing that you realize when you look at back when you look back at menzel's numbers running back was tough super super tough and i went in two kind of different directions for my picks here um, I went with Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb because Henry, in the same way that we talk about Newton having this year that is just so, so unbelievably good, and I don't want to get into the, the Derrick Henry-Christian McCaffrey debate. Let's not do that because it's irrelevant for this discussion. But when you win the Heisman Trophy, when you have 395 carries in a season, when you have, what was it, 147 carries for Bam in the last four games of the season? I, I
1: broke it down, uh, and it's honestly, everyone, everyone wants to talk about how, how many – touches he had per game and how they gave it to him too many times and blah blah, blah and like that's the only reason that's he a wanted skill, though. dude his his numbers you know how many touchdowns McCaffrey had that year total he Had nine like 16 total of all purpose or like or like 15 or something like that and like nine rushing he, he, had, like eight, he had eight, eight yeah. rushing and five receiving and then i think yeah. he had like three all purpose and one of those came in the last game we won't get into that argument but like people forget also that derrick henry had 28 touchdowns 28 yeah, touchdowns as a He's running had an back.
0: SEC single season rushing record, which that that, it, that that to me, there's a reason he got the Heisman Trophy in this passing in this passing yeah. era of college football. And when
1: people say and people say too, like like just play devil's advocate here because I, I didn't have him as my as my top running back. I'll be honest. I I had I had Gurley and I had Chubb. I don't I don't I, I would I would have Henry as my as 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 the second best running back of the decade from Bama. I would have Trent ahead of him um Ooh, i thought Tr- okay. i thought trent the way he impacted the game he impacted the game a lot more than derrick henry he was able to catch balls out of the backfield He was able to uh well henry could block but he also played in the return game a lot he he was um i, I think i think trent was better overall than henry henry's had that one incredible season Gurley yeah. and chubb i think Gurley got cut short because of the fact that um you know, he had to sit out games because of the, mm-hmm. this absolute BS from the NCAA. I think that there's I, – I remember writing this afterwards, and shockingly, <laughs> it didn't go over well. I remember writing this, like, goodbye to, to uh, Todd Gurley when I first had my own blog on Red, White, and Bro. And it was like – I was like, I, I have not seen – like, I've heard about Herschel, and I've heard about Bo, but I've never seen a kid – that when he I I it is must see TV for me when he when Todd Gurley was playing at Georgia it was must see TV and it was you know you talk about the first game back after the NCAA stuff or what I think it was first game back from something mm-hmm. first touch kick return for a touchdown like he did things in games where you just knew that at some point he was going to take over whether it was on a, a, a screen or a, you know a, a runoff left in and or like in the return game I thought he was he was better than any other running back I saw but I remember writing all that and someone was like. It just sounds like you're just trying to appease Georgia fans. It's not even valid. It's not even <laughs> genuine. I was like, okay.
0: I've kind of thought about what I This is going to sound weird. There's no way to not say this. No weird way. If I could go back and play God and do things and change things about the way that things happened in the 2010s, keep Todd Gurley healthy, keep Nick Chubb healthy yeah. the entire time, and just watch what they could do for an entire career, yeah. it would have been so fun because. People forget, and and you know, obviously, you know Marcus Lattimore, another guy that I would throw into right. that conversation, where you just you just want them to be healthy, and you what you wish you could see them at their best. But the difference with Chubb, in my opinion, was, despite the fact that yes, he had those just a devastating middle part of his career. Was the fact that he bounced back yes. as a senior and put up put up probably better numbers than people realize. I understand Sony Michelle was great in that time. Sonny Michel was the best running back in that backfield, and he obviously has the more memorable play because of the touchdown in the Rose Bowl. But you look back at that year where Chubb Chubb is the best offensive player on a team that went to its first national championship in 35 years. And the fact that, you know, he had thirteen hundred rushing yards and fifteen rushing touchdowns. In that 2017 season for Georgia, this big like kind of rebirth of Georgia football, in a way, to me, the the career body of work is just there for him. Dude. I mean, the guy still finished second in his career, second all time in SEC career rushing yards. That that matters. He does. You look at the body of work that he put together, and it's it's very very well.
1: Impressive. And and let's not forget, he also had a pretty big touchdown run in that Oklahoma game. This is uh, true. He, this is true. He didn't have a good game against Bama in the national championship. Sony had a much better game against him. There's no way. That you could take that as his like that should never be factored into legacy. His man, I tell you what, one of the coolest things I remember about Nick Chubb because I was actually at a, I was at a Clemson game in uh Death Valley or that, that fake Death Valley. Sorry, Um in Clemson <laughs> the other when uh, when he broke his leg and I remember somebody sending to me and I was like I saw it like on my phone. I was like oh my god and like people like passing around in the stands and it was it was so awful because kid, yeah. that kid that's like you never want to wish injury on anybody, but there's there's also there's some dudes that are just like Man, that's such a good kid. Like you don't want to see that happen to him. And I remember I remember my buddy sent me a video and he's like, dude, you will not believe this, because he's talking about how Chubb's gonna be back and I was worried it was gonna be at the end of his career or something or like you know, he's never gonna play in mm-hmm. college again. And within like I don't want to misquote this, but it was like within a, maybe two months, I wanna say, he was doing full sprints on a treadmill again
0: and it was like, Oh my god. He, I, I, love Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb was so much fun he's, to watch. He's built differently. Yeah, he is built differently. Um, running back. I, there are a lot of guys that, that are part of that conversation. Fournette was a guy that I almost had on there. More yards really, than Henry. Really close uh, all time. Had- yeah, more yards. But I just thought that if if I had put. Fournette ahead of Henry. Everybody yeah. would have just pointed to that game in 2015, and they would have said, "Well, what did you just not factor that into consideration, or or what?" But they kind of so, have
1: to. And he, and he sat himself, which was we later found out he sat himself out of one of the games, like um, that maybe he probably shouldn't have, and, and like to protect his draft stock. And uh, he was a fantastic running back. Fantastic. I mean, fantastic. some of these,
0: yeah, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but some of these, some of these guys, like with Fournette or like with Clowney, these guys that. They're a little bit difficult to judge based on the way that they finish their careers. And that's not necessarily to say that it definitely takes away from what they did in such impressive fashion. But sometimes it kind of just lingers in the back of your mind and whether that's fair or not, because we are judging them just based on college stuff. None of this yeah. is how they succeeded in the NFL. I don't care if a guy didn't play a down in the NFL, you're still going to value what they did in, in the college game. So there are, uh, I think. Um, if do we want to go through well, hold on. receiver? Do we? I wanna want to say
1: something you said real quick. Uh, we do, we'll, we'll we'll skim through the rest of it. Um, uh, but when you said the thing about about the NFL, I thought it was funny this weekend because everyone talks about how like the Henry thing with the carries and how he's like you know the only reason he got the carries. I guarantee you. Outside of Patriots fans or people living in in New England, there wasn't a single person in this country watching that game this weekend that was upset that he was getting so many carries because he yep. he ended that dynasty uh, pretty swiftly this weekend. That was that was funny. Um, uh, the receiver stuff—I didn't think this. I think the only one that we may have missed was uh, Jerry Judy should not be on there. Um, really? Yeah, I don't think so. Jerry Judy should be on there. I mean, he he had a great he had a great year. Who's ahead of him? Uh, Jordan Matthews is definitely ahead of him. Amari Cooper is ahead of him. When was AJ I put those Green at Georgia?
0: Before the two, the twenty tens, it was before the twenty tens. I think he had one season. I think he had one season in the twenty tens, right? Okay, but it was yeah, not even like that necessarily of a great yeah. season. But I, I gave Judy the edge because it wasn't just this. And I I realized like heading into the bowl game, he wasn't playing his best. But guy still won the Bolitnikov last year and was really oh, really, yeah. really really good. Yeah, um, I agree. With I, that. I I think receiver was a little bit thinner than I expected to. Alshon um, Jeffrey
1: would I would I would you could make a case for him. Uh, for sure, I, Alshon was. He, I mean, he he got he was he was such a physical freak. I feel like at that time. Um, I mean LSU. You could I, don't, I just I still I stand by what I said about Beckham not being as dominant in college as he is in the NFL. So I, I could see that. I don't know yep. like Amari. Amari is the best receiver I, hands down that we've had in the past twenty years.
0: So it's interesting you say that because. When we were asked to put together our Offensive Player of the Decade, I'm looking through, and I I wanted to go Cam initially, but then I thought, you know what? Only one season a decade. It's kind of tough to say he is the best offensive player of the decade when he just had that one year. The guy that I had the least trouble putting on this list of anybody on the offense was Amari. People, yeah, been saying it. It's his body of work if you if you don't necessarily appreciate his body of work you need to go kind of go back and look just his junior season alone Dude, is so insane the fact that he 124 had catches 124, 124 catches in
1: the same way that we talked about Henry he was he was the offense Blake Sims was yeah. the quarterback of that offense like like and if you don't think if you don't think that i, mean, I don't no one ever guarded
0: him no one ever shut down amari cooper Amari was in a a very different offense, I think, in 2014 than he was in 2012 as well. And he still put up those really good numbers in 2012. And we talked about that when we did the It Just Meant More. You realize watching this game, Amari Cooper's the best player on the field. Without a doubt. And he's a true freshman. Yeah, He's a true freshman in this game. And yeah, Todd Gurley was on the field Mm -hmm. as well. Don't get me wrong. don't, Don't hate Georgia fans. Todd Gurley was really, really good. But Amari Cooper was the best player on the field that day. And to me, you just watch the way that he progressed and the numbers that he put up. I mean, to to, to have the junior year that he did as well, where you know, you're know you talking 1,700 yards, 16 touchdown catches, the dude was so, so special. Part of that Lane Kiffin system yep, it's, certainly it's helped the getting thing. there. Um, but I, I think Amari was just so special and was the best player at his position from People, an offensive standpoint during his time.
1: I, it's not even – I don't think it's close. I honestly – like it was – well, maybe it's close. I don't know. But like Amari – like people forget in the Iron Bowl before the kick six, before the kick six happened, and before they scored a touchdown with like less than thirty seconds left to tie it, the the what like would have been the the go ahead touchdown for Bama was a ninety nine yard touchdown to Amari Cooper where he just 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 smoked a defender and was just gone like it's I mean like I. He was, he was, there were things he did, the Auburn game in 2014, in my opinion, cemented his place in like SEC history, where mm-hmm. there was, you knew the ball was going to him, and you had stuff where it was like, you bracket coverage, you you do whatever, and it was so, he was still such a, a mismatch for multiple people trying to guard him, to the point where Lane Kiffin was turning his back to the field, holding up a touchdown sign, because he knew it was a touchdown. We'll move on, because I love Mark Cooper. Tight end, you nailed Special. him, Evan Ingram. I, I would say Hunter, Hunter
0: Henry. <laughs> Hunter Henry was the the guy that I that I considered um, just little little bit more in terms of longevity that Ingram had because I think he had the he had the one more year yeah. um, during his time at Ole Miss compared to Hunter Henry, but he was yes yeah, somebody that you can make a case for for sure. We don't really need to dig into the offensive lineman we? No, we I don't to want defense. to because it's uh, that one.
1: I don't I hate that you put Barrett Jones on there, but it's yeah I don't want to do it. I know you hate Barrett Jones. I don't hate right. Barrett Jones. Oh. I just I think anyway. I, David Andrews should have been on there. Um. Okay. But anyway, so yeah, all-purpose. Does it have to be an offensive all-purpose player?
0: Uh, I I tried to make it that way. Okay. Yeah, because that's what I was including this with. But if you have somebody that just far and away in terms of kick return, punt return, something like that, um, then you could certainly make the case for one. I mean, I mind. think
1: what Michael Harbin did from a punt return standpoint was pretty impressive because he averaged like twenty yards per carry out. I wouldn't put him all decade. Um, Joe Adams from Arkansas was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to think here. The other one I would say, people might hate on this a little bit, but uh, it, like Cyrus Jones had four I punt returns for touchdowns in one season, which, is, which yep. is a lot. And the other one, if we're saying all purpose, I know he impacted the game a lot more on defense, but Eddie Jackson had two punt returns for touchdowns, average over 20. Just got paid. Uh, yeah, he did. Aver- average over 23 yards per punt return in 2016 before he broke his leg. And then also had three interceptions return touchdowns. So if we're talking about like all purpose, where they affect the game in, in multiple ways, I, I think he would be on there. But um, I, I
0: like Odell Beckham was great too. Oh yeah, and I like I said, I, I didn't. I'm not putting Odell Beckham on there because of who he is in the NFL. I, I did it because when I went back and actually looked at some of the stuff, didn't realize he was as good from a return standpoint as he was. The defense, the defensive line, whew, loaded, absolutely Man. loaded. Jadavion Clowney, Jonathan Allen, Miles Garrett, Derek Barnett. uh, Left off Quinnen Williams. Really, really difficult decision to do that. Really wanted to put him on there. I'll explain that in a minute. Linebacker. I went with four. Sue me. Whatever. I've got 12 men on the defense. Flag me all day if you want. I don't care. I wanted to include four linebackers. Josh Allen, Jarvis Jones, C.J. Mosley, Devin White. Defensive backs. Vernon Hargraves, Patrick Peterson, Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew and minka fitzpatrick defensive player of the decade jonathan did not see that coming yes didn't didn't think i would do that did not think i would do that that was not where my head went first but when i i I broke it down and look at some of the accomplishments that that al that jonathan allen had and it just it made a lot of sense to from from that standpoint in terms of like no doubter deserve a spot on this list Body of work over a long period of time wasn't necessarily just one year as it relates to the defensive player of the decade yeah. and just the team success. He he hit everything that you could possibly want. There are a couple other guys I realize you could definitely make a case for.
1: Um, defensive line,
0: Derek Barnett's yeah, definitely
1: be over them. I'm glad you put Miles Garrett in there. Clowney's numbers don't add up to deserving to be on here, to be honest. But, they, but there's no way you could make a list of the best players of the decade without Clowney being on it um I, I would say uh two people i would definitely have an issue with not being on here i wouldn't put him over jonathan allen i might put him over miles garrett even though he had an incredible career Derek brown from auburn and then also mm-hmm. uh nick Fairley from auburn i i know people that yeah, like I, nick Fairley, and i know 2010 was like kind of like the big the one big year he had but nick he was ridiculous he dominated yep. dominated um yeah. so much
0: I, I didn't put Fairley on here because the one year wasn't necessarily like f- heads and shoulders above any of the one years that like the, the three guys, so Garrett, um, Clowney, yeah. and then Allen had. So Fairley was incredibly good, and I kind of wanted to because obviously he was a huge part of that national championship team. We talk about Auburn not necessarily having the, defensive, the NFL-ready talent besides him on that defense. But, you know, I think it's actually surprising if you look back at Clowney um his numbers you know the guy still had 23 and a half tackles for a loss in a season yeah that's 13 stupid. sacks six in the heisman trophy voting like his peak was still really good i understand his last year his moment yeah his last year you know was a bit of a mess a little bit like leonard Furnett in that regard um but i mean like also had the the first i don't want to say it's the first viral moments because that's not necessarily the case but in the Twitter age, in the, in the age of like Twitter videos, I feel like that was the first one that everybody watched a billion times over and over and over again. Um, he was big in Vine too. I think <laughs> I saw he? that in Vine a lot. Yeah, uh, but Clowney to me was was still somebody that, he was just such a freak of nature and, and what he did in that season was so unbelievably impressive. Um, and then he's still, for whatever reason, I don't know why he got All-America Love that junior year, but he did. Um, you take him away from South Carolina and you're taking away one of their all-time greats, I think, in my opinion. So I, I did put him on and, and Barnett. I mean, Barnett is a guy that Yeah, there's this one stat about him that I just, I love, I love. Cause I, for me, yeah. not necessarily being a guy who, um, who played college football or, or, you know, was, I, I don't look at the game the same way your guy Chuck Smith does, right? right? Like Chuck Smith has this background. That's so incredible. He knows pass rushers when he sees it right away. And a, a stat like even somebody like me can appreciate. Derek Barnett and his entire career never went consecutive games without a tackle for it's loss. Stupid. That is crazy. It's, he is, he that is, is crazy. Out of all productive. the players
1: on the defense, he's the unsung, most underrated. Un, un, I don't say underrated, like but unsung hero. This guy we don't talk about, man. Like like that. That is a ridiculous stat. How did that go unnoticed?
0: I don't know. I didn't even realize that until I went back and looked at his game log and you know we're talking about you know the breaking Reggie White sack record at, at Tennessee and you know second in SEC history in tackles for loss. Yeah. I mean this guy was really really good and he didn't necessarily get the national love because he went through some some tough times at, at Tennessee and that that was a very struggling defense I think throughout his his final year there but Gosh, what what an impressive career uh, that he was able to put together in three seasons in Knoxville.
1: You know, we got we got pushback from some people that said, uh, like Robert Candici, which I thought was which mm. I thought was interesting, and I was like, well, that is interesting because, because in, he was the same heralded type of guy from as Clowney was to an extent of like yeah. how like you know this huge, 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 super recruit. you know how many do you know have any total sacks Robert Candici had in his entire career? Nine six. That's, That's it? it. He had one his freshman season, two his sophomore season, and then three his, his last season. He was still a really good player, but I, the numbers just don't add up for him. Um, I, I think that I think I would agree with those guys for, for D line. I'm sure we might be missing some. Uh, the linebackers Josh Allen, Jarvis Jones, CJ Mosley, Devin White. People forget how incredible of seasons Jarvis Jones had while he was at Georgia. It really, was really good.
0: That 2012 year was special.
1: 2012. He he was. He was the best defensive player in the country, hands down. It was yep. not Manti Te'o. He he did he took over games. He did everything you wanted, and the the stats were just. It was stupid. It was just stupid. Like it just like 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 at some point you think some of those stats would kind of fall off because it's like all right we, now there's enough tape. We need to chip them. We need to do whatever. No, they just never stopped. He was he was an incredible playmaker. Um, I, I think, Roquan. I know you said it was tough to leave out. I, I agree it's tough to leave out. He finished in the Heisman voting. Um so I would have him in there maybe ahead of Devin White. Devin White is
0: That was the my, my toughest debate so what, was between Devin White and, and Roquan
1: from a talent standpoint like Devin White I think is is I mean what, what did he run? He ran like a 4 4 1 or something stupid.
0: Um he's he is a freak for yeah. sure. And I, I gave I gave him the benefit of the doubt because I thought his two year mark was a little bit more impressive than, than Roquan. And, and Roquan, don't get me wrong, as I mentioned with Chubb. He was, you know, the best player on that defense. It, probably, I mean, best player in college football. That best defensive player in college football that year, and was somebody that Georgia just was so reliant on. I think he had what, like 130 tackles. 137, or something like yeah. That. Devin White had two seasons of 120 plus tackles obviously he won the butt kiss award right. in 2018 and he sort of kept LSU afloat after all that RGP stuff went down and that's probably an underrated thing where he was the the clear clear leader of that defense they relied on him so, so much, consecutive years, earning All-America honors as well. Roquan was really, really tough to leave out. Now, I, you know, I'm a Bears fan, so, like, I, I obviously, like, I love Roquan. Like, he's, he's a guy that I hope has a bright future in Chicago. Yeah. But, yeah, to me, I, it, was, it was really, really close. Linebacker was tough. And even Josh Allen, I grew, uh, you, you grow a little bit of, a, of an increased appreciation for some of these guys when you look back at their careers and you're comparing them against other guys during this era. Josh Allen, his 2018 season was just an all-time, just dominant. Dominant year. Well, I think, hey, what a special year he had leading that program. I think that
1: that, and then when you're looking at guys like, I mean, I don't disagree with anything you're saying on those. C.J. Mosley also, guy, guy that had back-to-back 100, 100 tackle seasons, um, yeah. several interceptions, several big interceptions, and, and interceptions returned for touchdown. One guy that I think we left off the list that deserved to be on the list was Arkansas's Dejon Harris. He had, over, he, had
0: three, <laughs> he had
1: three straight seasons of over 100 tackles in the SEC, and that's not easy to do.
0: Did you want him on one of these four spots? Yeah,
1: I don't know which one I would tell him off of. I'm just saying he just he's a, like, I don't, I don't. Know. I should have
0: put him on honorable mention. Maybe. Yeah, he yeah, definitely should I, make an honorable I mention.
1: I, I mean like, I don't know. This is also maybe like a, a time to like go look at it. And be like, hey, these guys are the best players. I don't think, I don't think Dejan Harris is better than any of these four guys we listed, right?
0: All but right. I would don't want to yeah. yeah but I just road. think
1: like it's we should mention the career he had.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, defensive back loaded, loaded position. Not saying anything in the SEC. about this oh this is tough this was this was really tough uh vernon hargraves patrick peterson honey badger make fitzpatrick i think that patrick peterson's one season was enough just because of the fact that like the guy essentially won every I, he won ben Merrick award jim thorpe award yeah. in 2010 yes cam newton ran away from him i know i hear you auburn fans but to me his season was just so so good and Vernon Hargraves. I came into this like right, like where I was covering the SEC full time right after he left, but I still obviously consumed all of this, and he was still a national name. But I didn't quite realize that he was a first-team All SEC guy three years as a cornerback in the SEC. That was, That's that hard. Was the first That's person really I to hard. I us
1: go argue with you with about Vernon Hargreaves, and then, and then I the thing I see is yeah, three. I mean, three. Yeah, that is really hard. That is really hard. I, 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 Derek Stingley do that. I'm not doing, yeah, without a doubt, I'm, I'm not, I don't like getting into the DB thing because I'm so sick of the DBU argument because I just like, it doesn't matter to me in my opinion. I, I know it obviously matters to other people. Um, there's been so many good defensive backs in the SEC and Gosh, like, I hate, I hate that argument of like the DBU thing. Like Patrick Peterson, I think is the best cornerback I've seen in the last decade I, th- I think that's fair to say. Um, uh, Vernon Harper was also really good. Tyron Matthew, Tyron Matthew made he he made so many plays in so many different ways for his team. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a guy that definitely could have easily been the all-purpose guy because you know I've had yeah. Ed- Eddie Jackson with three defensive touchdowns. Tyron had just the season. I don't think I've ever seen uh, it. It just fills up the stat sheet, man. Just everything he did. It just was it just impacted the game in so many different ways. Mika Fitzpatrick one thousand percent deserves to be on here. Like yeah. I Yeah. Oh, no doubt. There's there's been a lot of good safeties at Bama. Um Landon Collins, Ha Clinton Dix, Mika Stratik, I think was the best. He was a guy that was able to come in and play several different positions and play him very, very well. Um so I I, I like I like all four of those. There's probably Travis White, um yeah. couple other guys like that like, you know, I don't
0: Look like at DeAndre Baker. I was going to say DeAndre,
1: but like I don't yeah. know the career numbers on it, but he was he was obviously one of the more shut down guys. I mean, yeah, there's there's been there's been a lot a lot. Stephon
0: Gilmore. I mean, there's there's tons yeah. there's tons of different ways that you can go with this, and I, I realize there are other cases to be to be made. I think Minka's is another one of those guys who just quietly had this somewhat quietly had this this career that is just kind of peaked Saban throughout the decade of dominance where you look back and Saban probably uses him as a recruiting tool all the time because he was an out-of-state kid, of course, from the New Jersey. Yeah, essentially had the perfect career for an Alabama player. Alabama starter, year one, All-American, year two, All-American, year three. I mean, Jim Thorpe, Ben Derrick Award, played multiple positions, this is uh, this is not an easy group t- to make, in my opinion. This was one that I struggled with a lot. The defense itself, I think the defense was was more star-powered than Without the Without a doubt, yeah. Yeah. Um, the defensive player of the decade, I used the same logic with the defensive side that I did on the offensive side, and I went with Jonathan Allen because Jonathan Allen was somebody whose peak – Yes, like as a four-year guy, he gets a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he has more of a chance to rack up these numbers in college, all of that. But he just never really fell off. And his senior season was so special. And he was, like we talked about with Roquan, a guy who got Heisman buzz and somebody who is a three-time first-team All-SEC selection, not an easy thing to nope. do at, at the defensive line position. Three seasons of double-digit TFLs, two seasons of double-digit sacks, best player in consecutive years on a team that played for a national championship would have ended his career with a second national championship had Deshaun Watson not been Deshaun Watson in the last few seconds of the game. Don't want to get into the pick play stuff, but I just thought Jonathan Allen had a peak that was ridiculously high and as high as anybody on yeah. this list and also had the, the longevity over the course of his career where you looked back and you said, yeah, this was a, a really good career.
1: Um, I don't disagree with anything you said. He also like if, if people it's, I think this is one like is so easily argued because people aren't going to be excited about um, giving this to like a non sexy player like a,
0: he, yeah exactly you know I mean? he's not as flashy as some of the others on this list yeah sure.
1: I, I wouldn't say that I disagree with it I, he's been incredible um I don't know man it's hard it's hard not to say Tyron Matthew because of of the season that he know. had I I would almost make Minka Mink in there just because of. I don't. I don't know. He was I don't even want to. I don't want to pick because I like. I don't want to. <laughs> this one sucks, man. Jonathan Allen. Like he's my favorite thing about Jonathan Allen ever is he was the alpha of that defense, and, and and those people forget a little bit now. I think because of how bad the defense was this year and how much better other defenses in the SEC have been than Alabama. They're not the standard anymore. But Jonathan Allen has the single best quote in the history of post game quotes, and I will love it forever. It is when they beat Michigan State. Thirty-eight, nothing in the Cotton Bowl or whatever it was—the first year of the playoff—and there's thirty-eight-three, maybe. And somebody was like, "Man, like teams aren't supposed to do this. Like team, teams don't do that." And, and you know, like, and, and beat teams number three teams in the country by, by five touchdowns. And he just like snapped his head over the report. He goes, "Alabama does." And it was the best. <laughs> I had a shirt made. I had a button made. It was it was awesome. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a good dude. I think uh, I would have I would have a hard time arguing against that for him being the player the decade.
0: If, I'll say this because I th- I know a lot of LSU people are saying Honey, yeah. Honey Badger's got to be it. It's good reason. If Honey Badger, if Honey Badger had played one more season, even if he had kind of not played up to his potential as in that junior year where of course he was suspended, and and ultimately he was he was kicked off the team. Yeah. I think if he had played that year, he is no question the defensive player yeah. of the decade. he is another guy that is really really tough to judge because of how things ended and his peak was. Just electric. and, I mean, and he was—he was, so, was so like—he
1: transcended so many other things. Where it was like, I tell you what—if there was another player that wasn't as likable as that kid, and it wasn't as genuine and authentic as that kid, that had, quote unquote, issues with drugs. Yeah, it, it, he would have been—he would have been forgotten about immediately. Tyron Matthew yeah. is different, and I, I could easily. Like, I'd say what Jonathan Allen was the was the alpha of that defense and did so much. He he was he was the one in charge of leading that like the best defense. That that 2016 team is the best defense I've ever seen. Where they they had they had a non-offensive touchdown in like nine games. Connor, it's stupid. But Tyron Matthew, I would say in this decade, I've never seen a person take over games that much in so many different ways in defense than Tyron Matthew. So I could see I could see him winning.
0: Let me read you the stats real quick just because it it goes it needs to be appreciated. It needs to be known just from, from, from everybody the type of year that he had in 2011 where LSU went to the national championship. 77 tackles, 17 passes defensed, 7.5 tackles for loss, 6 forced fumbles. 6. 5 fumble recoveries, 4 total touchdowns, 2 via punt return, 2 via fumble returns, 2 interceptions, 1.5 sacks. That was one season?
1: That was so one I'm gonna season. I'm going to change my mind. And I, because I, there was the fumble force. I didn't, I didn't have that stat in my notes. Saquon Matthews, a player of the decade. It's not close. Oh, it's close, but I mean, yeah, that, that's that's incredible.
0: I don't. How know. many different stats is that?
1: It's wild. It's, it's
0: absolutely wild. He was so much more than than a haircut or a personality. He was. So that fun was. To watch I mean, that's
1: like when my therapist asks, like, "What are my issues?" Then like, you just keep listing off stuff, man. You just keep <laughs> listing off stuff.
0: Barler, um, why don't we take a quick break? And then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about Texas Pete. And we're going to do a little bit of Fourth and wrong. So I know you've probably heard me say this a lot before. But if you, for whatever reason, have not gone to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group and followed along with all the fun, you're missing out. I'm just going to say you're missing out. You should definitely go do that. It is a private group, but all you have to do is answer three questions. Basically, just you know, kind of make sure that you're not a bot or or whatever. But uh, you should definitely go do that. We're having a lot of fun on our Facebook group, which is up over four thousand people over there. Um, You're definitely gonna want to follow along. We got great memes. We're gonna have great articles that are posted as well. It's kind of a one-stop shop for all things college football. And even if you're not necessarily a fan of the SEC, I think that there is a lot of great stuff that you're gonna be interested in. Just because the season is ending doesn't mean that we here at SDS are all of a sudden going to stop cranking out content that is what we do so make sure that you go like our Facebook page Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook follow along for all the fun alright back to the podcast so Marla, you're on a bit of a health kick right now the diet started yesterday not diet starts tomorrow diet started yesterday you know several, goes days, great. Ago. several days ago Okay, you know it yeah. goes great with a diet somebody has said this before on this here podcast Texas Pete yeah Texas Pete does go
1: great with a diet. Um, I'm not keto. I'm pedo, okay? Let's say that right now. Uh, I am, I am, like, we started going through all the stuff, and tell you what, Connor, didn't realize how bad my diet was um, before I started looking at all these stupid diet books, but you know what I'm allowed to still have is Texas Pete, Uh, and thank God, because it goes with everything, makes everything so much better. Um, I have, like, the wing sauce is fantastic, the Texas Pete dust. It's fantastic. Yes. I tell you what I've been doing lately, and I've said this before: get a little bit of the, the the regular Texas Pete sauce, and a little bit of the Texas Pete wing sauce. Mix that up, a little mix mixaroonie. It is fantastic. It is fantastic. So I love Texas Pete. Uh, I know we talk about how tailgate season is ending, um, and as I've said before, wedding season is 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 getting rapidly rapidly close. Uh, and the one gift that I keep looking forward to, it keeps keeps on giving. Not only with the diet, but I know what we're also going to have at the at the ceremony itself. Texas Pete hot sauce. Can't wait. Say I do to Texas Pete. Oh, there it is. Um, and if you do, make sure, make sure, keto and pito. I think the pedo is way better. Um, yeah, that is what I'm going to call my diet for now on is, is I'm pito. And we, wait, isn't that a bad thing?
0: I don't know. Maybe. I don't know where you're going okay. with
1: that. I was just trying to make a rhyme, but I'm pretty sure that, that means something different. Anyway, get Texas Pete. Put it on all your stuff. Put it on your chicken. Put it on everything else in the eggs in the morning that Connor always does. And go get a bottle today. And make sure you send us vi- pictures and videos or whatever of what you're doing with Texas Pete, as long as it's reasonable. Uh, and use the hashtag sauce like you mean it. Moving on to fourth and wrong. I'm pretty sure pedo is, is, uh, means pedophile, which is not that's not what I was going for.
0: Well, it's what, you, it's what you ended up on, and that's all that matters. And I
1: said it three times, so there's that. Anyway, regardless, love Tax Speed, love Fourth and Wrong. Love you guys for every week. You guys send us the best questions, uh, non-foot-related questions that we then answer on here, uh, or advice that you want answered. And, so, let's see here. It's in the Facebook group as well, which I know Connor mentioned. First question we have from Michael Dark. Imagine you just found out your significant other is pregnant. What sports-inspired name Would you give him or her? I grew up a Michigan fan, so we named our youngest son Braylon after Michigan receiver Hmm. Braylon Edwards. And she shot down the idea of Kirby,
0: Herschel, Roquan, etc. Okay, fair enough. I think Braylon Edwards is problematic now, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that. Um, Yeah, I, I, I won't be able to do this. I know that. But the name Horace has a nice kick to it. Oh my God! Horace O'Gara is a legend on the playground. That kid is never you. missing an open jumper. He's getting all the loose the loose rebounds. He's scrappy. He's able to play well with others. I, Horace Oguera, um, uh, come on!
1: No offense, but um, I, mean, I love you, dude. But the Hor- Horace Oguera is not ever going to be picked <laughs> to play on a on the playground. Oh, not, he will. He's going to have no his goggles. Gonna and like, like, he's going to ball. You know we gotta, we got to get Horace, the kid with the goggles and the knee braces that he's wearing at seven years
0: old. Um, I, it's so weird that you love Horace Grant. It's the third best player on that team. That's why I loved him, though, because every, when I was a kid and I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, as I've said many times in this podcast, everybody around me was like, oh, I love MJ, I love Pippen, I love the guy who was making everything happen for him and getting all the loose balls and doing all the glue things to be able to hold that yeah. team together. Horace was so underappreciated, man. I love me some Horace Grant.
1: Um, that's fair. I would say, so, I mean, obviously, like, animals, I'd name Queso Corcovailoa, or now he's Queso Burrow, but either way. um, I, hmm, Mickey, Mickey Mantle, Mickey Marler, I like that a little bit. Mickey
0: Marlar's catchy. That guy could have a Mm -hmm. late night talk show, for sure.
1: Mickey Marler could have a late night talk show or be a recurring... Uh, person that pops up on websites that you don't need to be going to. I don't like that name that much. Oh, because nice. I don't like the, the alliteration on it. Um, Very different
0: ends of the spectrum
1: I'm, there. <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, like, I, 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 I like, I like Mickey because of Mickey. Like I said Mickey Mantle. I like Chipper is too much. Growing up in Atlanta, that would be that be too much. I don't know if I would name another one of my kids after a, a, a
0: player though. No, I wouldn't either. Um, it just the issue is if you do that, and if you know, like the Braylon Edwards thing, if there's something that happens that's problematic or something like that, then it's kind of a tough look to be able to justify it. But there's, I mean, it's it's inevitable, and it's going to continue to happen everywhere. How many kids have yep. been, especially in the state of Indiana? How many kids named Peyton? Indiana starting quarterback. Was yeah, Peyton that makes
1: sense. I don't know. I mean, like Ted, like Ted Williams. Um, but Ted's such a weird name. Theodore. Like one of my, so one of my friends had a baby, and she named her her the they twins, and the, the kid's name is Theodore. I was like, "That's an,
0: Theodore's a Theodore's a boss name. Boss. Is he a, name. a stuffed animal? No, I, I I'm okay, okay with that. I'm okay with that. You can go a right. lot of directions um, with that too.
1: I don't know, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be the one that's allowed to make that decision anyway. So it's, I don't know any Oregon State players that Bay is going to make me choose from. <laughs> Chad Can't Johnson, wait. Oh, Sean Manion, yeah, <laughs> Manion Marler, TJ. Anyway, Huzinzada. wait, did Chad did Chad Johnson play there? Yes, and TJ. You Huzin, so Yeah. Okay. Um. Shout out the uh, Seahawks, big one yesterday. Go, like, uh, squaw, whatever. Uh, this is from Macaylen Crabtree, one of my favorite people in this group. Um, she's like really young, so she's like eighteen, but she's like super sensible, like like a lot smarter and more mature than I am. Um, she said, if you could spend the day with your favorite celebrity, who would it be, and what would y'all do?
0: I mean, I kind of already outed myself for the Horace Grant thing. I guess I wouldn't wouldn't put that in there. I mean, I'll I'll just stick I'll stick with the Bulls. Spending a day with MJ would just be a different kind of experience in every possible way. Yeah. It would be a pinch yourself moment throughout the entire day and not to say like look, I've been very fortunate in this in this life, this career. I've had cool opportunities throughout my life. I've been able to be the bat boy for the Cubs for a day and no I have you had never said that. I think I've said this. Before. I think I've said No, you before. have not. I was a bat boy for the Cubs for a day in 2004. It was a great time. They win or lose. Uh they won like 10 to nothing that day. It was dominant. It was great. Um, and that was when they sold a lot of star power: Kerry Wood, Sammy Sosa, Mark Pryor, um, Derek Lee. A lot of, lot of notable guys. You got a guys thousand
1: percent. Here. Never said that on the podcast, or I told just, me.
0: I just said it right here and now. Um, I've had, I've had some really cool experiences throughout my life, but getting to spend the day with MJ would just be above and beyond anything we've ever been yeah. able to to sort of do, just because. His life is so different and guarded and secluded, and, and he doesn't really allow a lot of people in, whereas everybody else in this social media culture, you kind of feel like you get little glimpses into their life, whereas MJ really doesn't do that, and he trying he tries to keep pretty private. So I think there's always been a certain mystique about MJ. that, yeah. and, and I mean Michael Jordan, not Michael Jackson, as you often wonder about when I say MJ on this podcast. So Michael Jordan, yeah, for sure.
1: Okay, so for me... I can't do anything uh, simply or as requested, so I'll say three people: Ryan Reynolds. Love to just hang out with Ryan Reynolds because, like, I I love you know I love comedians and all that kind of stuff as well and athletes for the most part. But those those, not say actors don't, but they carry a different type of ego that I don't know if I would necessarily want to be around that long. Yeah, um, and he he just seems like such a fun dude. Like he's just he's funny. Like he's it's like I think he's a, a, a lot of similar wit to like he's, he's a relatable person so i'd say that um and then the last two i don't know if I, I might even just want to do this all together is scott van pelt and charles barkley i would love to go to vegas with charles barkley or play golf with charles barkley and just gamble and be irresponsible and a degenerate the entire day i think that would be so much fun with because he's like that'd be a blast and then the other one would be, um, man, Scott Van Pelt. Same thing. I would love, I would love to just sit like the, the West West uh, Westgate. We Westgate Sportsbook that I got to spend or got to go to for my bachelor party with him for a day and just kind of chill and, and talk about sports and do that whole thing and the gambling thing. But the other thing I would like to like to do with him is, he's a veteran of Dewey Beach in Delaware, which is. This is true. I love the place. Hate some of the people there, but love the place. Um, and it's not far from Ocean City, Maryland, which is like a similar beach town. That's like one of the most fun towns I've, I've ever been to. I would love to just go hang out and drink with 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 uh, Scott Van Pelt. Listen, Maybe reenact that, that whole drunk dial he had that went viral on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I knew so you were going to bring that up. I knew you were going to bring
0: that it up. It was so
1: funny, and it nothing was. bad came out of it. It was it was just him being funny. So oh, that's what I would say.
0: I would also, um, you know, if we're talking about celebrities here, uh, just spend a day training with Chris Doring, you know, just kind of see how that goes, pushing sleds yeah. and having a good old time. I think I'd uh, I'd enjoy an afternoon getting to do that for sure. Our favorite That'd celebrity cool. on this podcast for sure. That's true. Um,
1: okay. Third question from Eric Beasley. What is your most irrational fear? Follow that up with what do you fear most that would never... Actually, hold on. What is your, what is your, yeah, what is your most irrational fear? Follow up with what do you fear most that would never actually happen to you?
0: Most irrational fear is pick one trampolines with nets, um, death traps, just total death traps. It's irrational. Close
1: right? in on you like a Venus flytrap?
0: Um, no, I had a buddy rupture a spleen on those when I was growing up, so it kind of scared me off of them because he tried to yeah. jump over it. He's an idiot. I wouldn't probably yeah. try and do that, but I always fear that those things are just going to come apart, or I'm going to jump into the side of them, and I'm going to get injured some way, shape, or form. There's just nothing you can do when you're suspended in air and you're already up there, and you got to land yeah. somewhere. And I just, I don't really have much of a way to protect yourself. I know the nets are there to protect you, but I have always been very, very timid around those things. Now I have obvious natural fears, you know, going on motorcycles. Heights, to me, are just not not a big fan of in certain situations. Obviously, yeah. you can, I can mean, fly and stuff like that, no big deal. But just a lot of situations in which I kind of find myself avoiding because of said heights. Going to the Grand Canyon and getting around some of those heights, yeah. to kind of get over some of that, but... Yeah, I mean, I I think that the the trampoline one is probably my most irrational.
1: <laughs> That's yeah. <laughs> you around a lot of trampolines still? I don't like. Uh, is that... There's a reason I'm not. <laughs> okay, very fair, fair enough. Very good answer. For me, let's see, oh, man, outliving my loved ones. Uh, no Oh I'm gosh. I, I always like take it to a dark place at first. Oh um, dark. So for real, like bridges. I I don't like bridges. I don't like being over them. I don't like being under them. I'm always afraid they're gonna collapse. I don't know why. It doesn't it's matter how tall the bridge is. It doesn't matter. Well, it, it it's worse if it's taller. Yeah. I've gotten better about it over the recent years, but um, I tell, like a big one for me now, especially in Atlanta, is because I've had it like my whole life. But um, being if you're like in traffic and you're and you're waiting to move, like if you're at like a red light or something like that, and you're under the bridge. Oh, okay. That is a nightmare for me because, and we had a bridge burn down, like like. Three years ago in Atlanta, just like out of nowhere. So um, the other one is, and and I'll say, knock on wood, this never happens to me because I would I would not do well with this. Um, I mean, Auburn winning another national championship—that's one. it's uh, not irrational. I'm, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, no, this this actually happened to somebody in Australia like ten years ago, and it has stuck with me. It's it's, it's the one thing I wish i would never seen in my whole life, and I'm not trying to make a joke here or be funny. This this is. This is the most terrifying thing I think that could ever happen to you. Somebody went to the bathroom and they had to go number two and they opened the lid and there was like a seven foot python in their, in their, uh, toilet, like, like from, that had come up through the pipes and even worse. And there's other stories where this has happened like a lot, like more than once in places. Like, I don't know how many in America, but like, if you're doing that, if you're just like minding your own business, doing your business and there's a damn snake. I hate snakes. I hate snakes. That that is easily my biggest fear. So your and fear is toilets is what this is. fear your is toilets. Fear. Yes, I haven't gone number two in seventeen years. Ever since I've ever, I'm kidding. I just that whole thing is, is gross to me. That, that, ugh, that would that would be terrifying. Um, number four, this is from Marcia Madeline Miller. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream and toppings? Don't say what your least favorite is, Connor.
0: What is your favorite? I am always going to say my least favorite. I'm a very positive person when it comes to ice cream, for sure. Moose Tracks is my favorite. That's that's my go-to, and it, give me the, give me the peanut butter moose tracks. I don't want yeah. you know, the, the peanut. I've had the others where it'll say on the box, chocolate covered moose tracks or something like that, and it's like a peanut butter cup except it's more chocolate instead of peanut butter yeah. in there, which is weird. I don't know why you would do that. Um, but moose tracks to me, and if we ever go, you know, if we go to Froyo or something like that, or if it's a make your own Sunday, any sort of Ooh, Reeses. Yeah. M&M, Oreo, peanut butter combination where I just swirl it all yeah. together. Yeah, chocolate sauce. Oreo's maybe. good. Oreo's really good. Um, I'm not a big whipped cream guy. I'm, I've never really enjoyed that. little overrated, that. isn't it? Yeah. I think it is. I
1: love, I love having like nuts in the ice cream. You know, I will say this, Connor, and I don't know how much ice cream you've been getting into lately, but there was a, a, a stage in December for me where I was getting into a lot of ice cream, I, I was that was a regular thing. I was buying. You at the sound store. like
0: a like, raccoon going. You're like I was it, getting It, into w- a lot it of was
1: pretty much how I handled most of December <laughs> with the stress of of the holidays. So, but I was like, I remember like going to look for for. I was so I was going to look for like these like rasp or strawberry like popsicles, like the like the all fruit ones that are really good, like mm-hmm. super high in sugar, but they're really good. Um, and they didn't have them. And I was looking at the ice cream section. Are we getting a little bit out of hand with the different type of animal track flavor ice creams now? Like I don't understand what bear tracks, moose tracks, deer tracks, like all these. I, what what, Paw what? There was an, there was an, yeah there was an otter tracks. Like I don't you know what like I why don't we just pump the brakes a little bit on on all the animal track things? I just I'll throw that out there for for ice cream fans. Um, for me, chocolate almond staple. I love coconut, coconut and and like any kind of like nuts or Oreos. Like adding that in there if I'm like at a Froyo place um that's the best for me Yeah, I, lo- I love like uh chocolate and coconut that is probably my favorite um, but for me it's a heavenly hash which is like all those things
0: can we agree that rocky road it. is the I single most no. overrated ice cream just give me chocolate over rocky road i, d- no. I don't need I don't you're need wrong vegetables. about this no
1: every time we bring up ice cream that's why i said don't say your what's your least favorite i just say just say your favorite and you always get mad about rocky road rocky road is not bad the marshmallow it's the consistency of the marshmallow when when you're like in a good bite and it's like because what what is it it's like chocolate and then like is it chocolate chips or is it chocolate or is it like nuts it's i think it's it's, it's nuts
0: yeah isn't it nuts and marshmallow yeah and then so it's like you get
1: like the chocolate flavor and then like the nuts and then and then when that marshmallow part kicks in you're like oh
0: my problem with rocky road is that it is too many people's favorite ice cream that's yeah. the issue. If it was just a regular flavor, no problems. If it's just kind of disgust, but I think that way too many people like rocky road and mint chip ice cream.
1: Mint chip is overrated. It's it's, it's not it. bad, but it's like it's It's God, not, not bad. It's it's all it, ice cream is good. How about, how about people that like pistachio? Yeah, that's like weird. pistachios themselves are good. If you're ordering pistachio ice cream consistently and you're not like a 78 year old woman named Ethel that lives in Florida after living in New York for a certain life, that's a problem, guys. You know what? Let's talk about ice cream a little bit here. Because I, I got a lot of takes on, on Go ice cream. Off. I just I, first off, rainbow sherbet is fantastic. I agree. Orange I... sherbet, orange sherbet is fantastic. That used to be like my favorite growing up. If you are just getting vanilla, is it too much to kill yourself? Probably so. Probably like but too much. Don't, too much. Yeah. Okay. Don't do that. But like. Dude, like you don't go order a mayonnaise sandwich. Like get, like get, add some stuff to it. Add some spice to it. I don't like, uh, I don't like like some of like the boutique ice cream shops now where there's like, like Jenny's is really good. It's really good. This is, this is a big difference between me and Allie and it, and it really frustrates me sometimes because it would be I like, tell. Hey, um, can you get me some ice cream? I'm like, yeah, sure. And we constantly talk about being on a budget and We'll go get ice cream. It's like, you can get a half gallon of like Mayfield or Publix Brand or whatever. And it's, it's still good ice cream. Yep. For like four fifty-nine. And she's like, Well, give me Jenny's super dark chocolate, which is good, but like I don't wanna have to be thirsty for water after I eat ice cream. And mm-hmm. and like I, I don't know why that and it's like eight ninety-nine a pint.
0: Like that I don't understand. Where that's coming from? Halo Top—that's another one of those. Ben and Jerry's—they're very expensive per when it comes to per pint. When you compare it to the, yeah. you know, there's the full like half whatever the the half gallon store bought thing is. Americone yeah. Americone American
1: Dream—I love that one. That one's good. Chunky Monkey's good. The banana one, not it's like banana with walnuts something. and a uh, no. That's fine. I mean, I but yeah, there are there are a lot of like rum raisin. Who like yeah? Why like, who when like, the only people I know that like rum? Ugh. And then, and then butter pecan, like that is, butter pecan's not bad ice cream. It's just, it's like, There's always I can't better. imagine not being under the age, I can't imagine being under the age of 55 years old and actually getting butter pecan ice cream. Nor can I. Okay. Last question. <laughs> <laughs> I just got uh, Emory Picker says, I just got out of the army after six years. What are your best beard care tips for a guy who has never been able to grow Ooh. a beard?
0: That's a great question. Thank you for your service, Emory. Um, yeah, thank starters. you for your service. Um, as somebody who got rid of a beard a month ago and now has my full beard back and life is good, get the the trimmers so um, you can go to, I mean, even at Target, you can find a- any array of trimmers. But make sure that you have the trimmers and they've got like four or five different settings on the razor because yeah. depending on what point in, in your life you're at, those things are very valuable tools. And sometimes when you get back from getting a haircut and you still got the beard going, you can you can kind of use it to, to be able to help you out in some problem areas as well. Um, because sometimes they don't necessarily, like, if you go to a haircut place and you don't say anything about the beard, they won't do anything to it. And yeah. it helps you to be able to kind of take care of it in terms of beard maintenance and stuff like that. But I only use a straight razor pretty much on my neck and like just to kind yeah. of tighten things up on the top anymore. But... Yeah, make sure you get the the trimmers that have a variety. Don't just get, like, a trimmer that's got, like, one or two settings. Make sure you get the right. ones with, like, four.
1: Yeah, agreed. That's, I think I have, like, a one, two, three, four, and five guard on yeah. mine. Because I think mine's, like, like, if you can, get one that's, like, for not just for your beard, but, like, for, what do you call it, like, your hair as well, I guess. Because you can get, like... I don't know, they have more variations for like the guard um that you can use. But if you get like the, the stuff of conversation, like yeah, definitely get multiple multiple um what do you call it settings because that, my least favorite part and I have to do it every week for the T V thing is like is shaving my neck. I I, I hate it. I'd of never not get razor burn. Like in and, and like and now like the one thing I didn't know that you had to like line it up. Yep. You know, to get a beer. And like, you know, every once in a while I try to do this when I get a haircut, I usually just Add in getting my beard trimmed or or shaped up or whatever because they do a pretty good job of it, but it's like seventeen dollars.
0: Yeah, it's not worth it. I always do that no, at home. it's really not, man. Yeah. It's just
1: I like it. Yeah, I I I hate um, I just hate the part where, like I actually have needs to dry razor to shave my neck, but you can get multiple ones where it's like an electric razor or whatever you call it, like that. They'll get a Those pretty work. close shave too. If you still yep. get multiple, just have
0: a plan. That's that's the key thing with with having a beard is that if you don't have a plan, if you just kind of let it run wild or whatever it is it'll get out of control and hurt you. And I don't know if you're a person who can't grow a beard, Emery, um, or if anybody listening to this can't grow a beard. It, it takes a while. Sometimes it takes yeah. a little bit longer than others. Don't force it. Wait for it to, to kind of you know build naturally over time. Keep shaving yeah. it until it's at the place where, where you like it. But uh, just have a plan and make sure that it looks good. Make sure your significant other likes the way that it looks and she yeah. can at least deal with it because that's the last thing you want is to all of a sudden add something to your life and she's like, oh, this isn't what I was hoping for. The, the significant I, other's got to, she's the person that's got to look at you. So that's yeah. that's kind of a key part of this whole deal.
1: I When I started growing this last year, I grew it because I was sad because uh, this actually, I'm sorry, you haven't this up yet. I've so. never asked you about that, yeah. Today is the one year anniversary of the Clemson Alabama game in yes, Santa, Santa Clara. And so that is I remember I got back and I was like super sick. I was like just so sick. And also I had worked at Houston's for like however many years and you had to shave every day, every single day, or they'd like send you home. Um I I started I started growing out and it was like I was it was the first time I'd ever grown with like a full beard. I was and I was shocked. And I didn't know you had to trim it and keep keep up oh, with it yeah. or do any of that stuff. So it was just like three months and it was just like this bushy orb on my face i did not want to say anything. and it no one said anything and then like like i would do the i would do the podcast the the facebook lives and somebody was like you're gonna trim up that beard bro and like because because if you grow it out just like puffier and puffier like that if you, especially if you have a trouble growing a beard it it, it is more glaring where the areas are like you can't grow it if you let it go longer beards take um, work yeah so get get beard oil too uh, that's all I have to say about that.
0: Connor, take us out of here. Let's end with it. it might mean too much. This was something that got me a little bit fired up on Twitter the other day. Um, Lane Kiffin hired DJ Durkin as an assistant. And I bring this up and it might mean too much because we know why Lane Kiffin hired DJ Durkin probably. And I threw out the hypothetical on Twitter of like Ole Miss hired DJ Durkin because Why? Obviously, Lane wants to get a competitive advantage. He feels that DJ Durkin is somebody that is going to add value to their staff as a defensive mind, as a recruiter, whatever it is. Athletic Director Keith Carter said that they vetted DJ Durkin as well. Um, Here's the problem with that, and I'm going to go off for a minute here. DJ Dirk and the way that things ended at Maryland, where he was part of the player mistreatment scandal, ESPN investigation kind of shed some light onto some of the stuff. The toxic culture at Maryland, which was only looked into because of the death of Jordan McNair, the former Maryland player who died of a heat stroke during practice, and the stuff that he was making players do under his watch is just disgusting and bizarre. Yep. And somebody who, in my opinion, should not have authority over 18 to 22 year old kids anymore. Um, Say it, he, oh, real quick, I don't want to catch you up. Say that again. He Connor. should not have authority over 18 to 22 year old kids anymore because. Right. There was, uh, I mean, if you wanted to get into like making players watch gross things while they're eating, horror movies, eyeballs getting gouged, gouged out, like serial killers, oh, like weird, weird, weird stuff that he was doing. Public I mean, had, shaming. Yeah, like public shaming, bullying, had, you know, his strength coach. His strength coach, like, threw a, 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 an entire garbage can of vomit at players during workouts, like weird stuff that isn't just like, oh, kids are soft these days. Like, no, 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 yeah. no, like stuff that's a major, major problem. 192-page report, you can read all about some of the stuff that he was doing over at Maryland. And, you know, people are saying, well, you know, he's a great recruiter. This is the land of second chances. Like, okay, here's the issue. This is the easiest negative recruiting ever, ever. Anybody that actually is going in a recruiting battle against DJ Durkin, all they have to do is say, you want your kid to play for him, for him. The guy was at at, at the helm while all this stuff at Maryland went down. So everybody that's saying, oh, he's a great recruiter. He hasn't had a recruit since all this stuff went down. How in the world is that a good look for Link Kiffin and his program to bring on a guy like that who just has all sorts of baggage? I don't care yeah. if Keith Carter says that they vetted him and they looked into his background. It's all there. It's it's all this stuff is all out there. And nobody has no allowed necessarily DJ Durkin to go into living rooms and tell kids why they should go to specific put you know go to their specific school. And to me, that's the issue that I have. And a second chance, people misconstrue this all the time in college football, more than any other sport, and it bothers me so much. They say, what about second chances? Second chances in life are different than second chances to be able to coach 18 to 22-year-old kids and get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that job. That, that is, is a big difference.
1: That is such a – I didn't mean to cut you over. I'm me? done. I'm done. Go ahead. No, and that kind of like – that's like maybe the best point that's ever been made on this podcast like ever because of the fact that like – It's so frustrating now, and I had this conversation with somebody yesterday about some of the stuff that went on with the Facebook group and and, and how what bothers me so much about where we are today in society is there's no – the lack of discourse and conversation and, and like, logical understanding of each other and listening of of other people. And I struggle with it all the time too, but, like, we've gotten to a place now where everyone has their opinions made up, and most of those opinions, like, in my opinion – are based off of a snapshot of, of of the actual issue at hand, where they, they see something they agree with and they, they kind of steer or, or veer towards that and, and like, you know, like whether it be like news or, or politics or whatever. And then the other the the people of the opposing side any kind of difference or pushback becomes, you just don't like me because, you are you know, if it's sports, we're rivals. Or you, you're you a hater because of this. And it, it's really frustrating. And I know it's just how the internet is and I should get over it and all that stuff. But it really is disheartening to see sometimes. And it worries me going into, like, this year specifically, not to get on a soapbox, but the 2020 where we're at an all-time high of contentiousness, probably because of, of, like, an election year and at an all-time low of understanding each other. This situation, what you said, has nothing to do with it being a bad look for the university or because he doesn't deserve a second chance. It's the fact that, like the the the, the biggest the biggest what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, a product, for lack of better words, that is affected by NCAA football are are, are kids and yeah, children exactly. and, 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 and and young men that are going into their 18 and 22 years old and it's it's not okay to put a child's life in danger and he's somebody that did that and, and it ended up horribly i mean like i just i don't know how you i don't know how people wouldn't see that
0: yeah, that's, that's to me is, is a tough thing to spin. I'm not saying that that means he's automatically going to go down that same path that'll yeah. Miss, but I'm saying that in terms of bringing that type of personality into your your university, I think that's just a really bad look on a variety of fronts. So, Lane Kiffin is trying to fill out his staff. As we know, he hired Chris Partridge from Michigan, and he's still trying to do some other things to be able to, to build that up, and he wants to be able to recruit, get all those things. To me, there's a better option. There's always a better option if that's yeah. where you're going. Make sure, if you have not yet, join our Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook, up over 4,000 members. If you are not following us on any forms of social media, uh, you should be. You definitely should be because we are going to continue to crush it. Our team, our news team does great work, as we always say. Marler is on top of all things SDS in terms of Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook Live. Are we doing Facebook Live before the national championship? Is that the plan?
1: Oh yeah, we'll definitely do it for the national championship. Um, I'm trying to figure it out because it might be Mondays, but then the Bachelorette's on Mondays, so we'll the try it on Monday. we probably see. It might, it, I think we're gonna move it to Mondays at like 7:30.
0: Monday's at 7.30, moving forward. We're going to preview the National Championship. Our plan, as of right now, is to record a podcast on Thursday that'll come out on Friday morning for everybody to be able to read. We know the National Championship isn't until Monday, so that you'd be able to listen to that Friday, all weekend, go into work Monday, whatever the case may be. We're going to have a lot more coverage on that, really break down the game, maybe potential, potential special guests that we haven't had on in a few months. We'll see if we can get that going as well. Fingers crossed on that one. But... What do we need to remember more than anything else, Marlon? Don't say
1: pedo if you don't know what it's short for. <laughs> um, it might be too much, guys. Talk to you guys later this week.